0: And we're live. Ivor, welcome back to the podcast, man. Oh, thank you very much. And so, sure, welcome back to the podcast. You, you've been away for a while. I have, yeah.
1: Uh, I certainly have. And I've come up with... Oh, fuck. It's, um, it's a weird one because I spent the last... I've spent the last two years coming up with excuses why not to do the podcast. But I spent the previous two years <laughs> telling everybody how not to be full yeah, of excuses and yeah. get out of your own way. Yeah, and... Yeah. So yeah, I've been a bit of a hypocrite for the past two years, but uh I've been busy too. I got married and had another kid. Yeah, yeah and they keep you busy. Yeah, even those two things, like <laughs> fuck that and life and everything else. But um What's changed with you since we last sat down? Have you still like? I mean, have you? Is psychedelics this thing you did a couple of years ago? You went to the jungle; it was mad. You were on a podcast about it, and now you know reality <laughs> is hit home, and you're just yeah, you're no, back from normal, back normal.
0: the office. Don't believe in God. Don't believe in any of that <laughs> stuff. You know? No, things are, you know. I think I guess my thoughts and my feelings on it are still exactly the same, you know. And it's definitely still a massive part of my life and huge interest in my life. Still, like you know. Um, as I, I think I might have even said to you before, I can't ever see that changing because to me, when, you know, when you're shown the divine or you're, you're, the show, you're showing whatever it is you're showing, there's no switching that back off. And there certainly hasn't been for me, like, you know, that is constantly in my daily thoughts. You know, it's still every day I wake up, I think about Peru, I think about the things I've done there, the things I've seen there and it influences my life. Like it keeps me, definitely keeps me on the straight and narrow for sure. It stops me from, you know, overindulging, not to say I don't indulge, but overindulging in the vices. And when I do overindulge at times, it's always the things that brings me back out is, you know, to think about that kind of experience out there and to try and, you know, keep myself healthy again, as in, you know, eating well, training, all of that kind of thing. It's always it, it's always what brings me out of, you know, when you get. Dragged into that, not eating well and not training and all of that, you know. It's my thoughts of all of them things that happened in the jungle, you know. So sort of it's always going to be a part of my life, I think. I can't see that stopping in any way, you know. Well, why do you keep slipping out of it, do you think? Yeah, I or think you, it's just, are just are human nature. It it's, just, it's just human nature. I tend to view life as, or I've started to kind of view life as a meditation itself. So the idea of sitting down and just meditating is one thing. But if I've begun to treat my life like a meditation. So when I'm eating healthy and I'm living my healthy lifestyle, that's me breathing in. And then obviously you slip and you on the breathe out. You're not doing them things. But I would kind of think of it as if the whole thing is a game, if this whole thing is a game, like I kind of under, would not understand, but think that it is, you know, the game is a constant remembering and a game of constant forgetting. And the beauty about the forgetting is that you get to remember the whole thing again and you get to experience you know, that kind of feeling like I felt in the jungle before. There's times when I would feel, you know... Again, that word, I would feel very spiritual where I'm connected to everything and everything's healthy and everything's good. And then there's times when I don't feel like that and I am, you know, indulging in the vices and I don't feel very spiritual. And when I'm in them times, you know, something will re-trigger that in me. And I think that's, I think that's what's so beautiful about the game is that you, you get to, you get to remember a number of times. You don't just have an experience like I had in the jungle and that's it because it would all become again quite mundane again wouldn't it like if that w- if that was your only experience so by forgetting the whole situation again you get to relearn it and you get that that spark again because it's it's exciting when that spark hits you like you know as as you found yourself with the use of the psychedelics and things like that now like when you when you have them experiences like it, it it's certainly for them couple of months afterwards you're you're floating around really aren't you like your mindsets in a good place you know your, your your life is definitely very healthy and all that again, you know. So you slip in and out of that. But to me, I think that's a good thing. And as I said, I, I nearly treat it now and understand it like it's a meditation. Like there's always going to be them times when I'm feeling spiritual and then there's, go, there's not. And then it's going to rise and fall. And it's like an in and an out breath and a flow. That's what, how I would look at it, I suppose.
1: And what do you think triggers you, for want of a better term, into... Staying away from the kind of more spiritual enlightened path where you're at one with yourself and your family, and things are kind of good in your life, like what do you think derails you
0: you get you get lost in i guess what what the Hindus would call um this whole what the Hindus would call Maya so the illusion when I when I notice that I kind of slip off that spiritual path is when I when I kind of buy back into the illusion more or less like say for instance lately I've been uh, doing a lot of work on the outside of my house and that took over everything so I was trying to get the money together for it I was working hard to try and pay for it And I was buying back into the whole illusion again of having to get this, the land done, and get this done and get that done. And it's it's usually in them instances when I don't feel so connected to spirit or whatever, you know, whatever word you want to use for it. But it would usually be it would usually be that that would, you know would kind of take me out of that kind of feeling and out of that kind of place that i mean, I buy back into the madness of life, like, do you know what I mean? That illusion, you kind of forget who you are. And I think that, again, that's the beauty of the game is that you get to remember that again and it's like, oh, it's like the, the peace and the tranquility settles back in again and then you buy back into the illusion again. So it's a constant game of remembering and forgetting, you know, remembering and forgetting. And I think that's what makes the game so beautiful because if you just remembered and that was it, you wouldn't have that coming down to come back up again, come back up again, you know, everything would nearly plateau, wouldn't it? Like, you know, it'd be just, you know, that the whole time, like, but it's nice to forget and remember at the same time. No, without a doubt.
1: And I, I think I've a big one for me was when COVID hit and the lockdown was imposed, my business just came to a complete stance that I was supplying restaurants. So all the restaurants were closed, so I closed. right let the two boys go and the business just turn the key turn off the lights uh for whatever amount of months it was but it gave me a lot of time to think about what i had been doing in the months leading up to that and the reason i set up my own business and wanted to work for myself in the first place was because i wanted to remove myself from the the rat race yeah from the nine to five you know living for the weekend to you know saving up enough money so that you might be able to retire early that whole yeah that whole yeah. illusion so yeah the reason I wanted to set up my own business was to get out of that. And what COVID showed me was what I had done along the way was I had built up my own rat race that I now owned, but I was still in the rat race. Yeah. Do, you know, do you know that kind of yeah, way? Yeah. And I was a, a worse boss to myself than my previous employers have been right? Uh, insofar as that. I, me as a boss myself, I was never happy with my own output, so I was kind of constantly giving out <laughs> to myself, like, kind of But it wasn't until I got the break of COVID that I actually kind of realised that. But it's it that that's essentially what you're saying is just slipping back into old patterns or old habits or, or I suppose conformity or what's 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 easy. Like that path yeah. is already very much kind of laid out for most people. You you don't choose it as much as you just kind of slide into flow into it, it, flow yeah. into it yeah. And I think yeah. schools and Primary schools, secondary schools, even crashes, you know, preschool care, primary school care, secondary school, even colleges and universities all funnel you into specific channels of life, yeah, I suppose. Pathways. Pathways, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's actually, again, not to lump on too many analogies on top of analogies, but I think we mentioned it before this idea of a psychedelic experience can. The analogy is your brain is, or your mind is like a ski slope. And the, there's paths driven into that that hillside, say, that most people are kind of going down. They've gone down a hundred times before you and you kind of fall into their kind of roots. Mm. But the psychedelic experience is like a fresh sprinkling of snow. Yeah. You get to make those paths yourselves. Now, the, the biggest ones and the deepest ones are still there, but you get a chance at least to see... Yeah new possibilities yeah so.
0: an opportunity to change them but sure, i think that's even what kind of you know and now my very limited understanding of like neuroscience and the workings of the brain and stuff isn't that what they kind of say like that you know when these things happen in your life you know traumatic experiences and stuff like that like that that's what they're doing within the brain it's like it's like carving out that path and then you know when something badly scars you when you when you experience a similar situation, you it'll trigger you. Do you know what I mean? Like so it'll trigger an explosive reaction, or it'll it'll trigger anger, or it'll trigger fear, or it'll trigger you know one of them things. So that's you know as you're saying with the ski slope, it's literally like carving in, but damn, them, damn are very hard to change no matter how much meditating and how much healing you do for something it always you still always carry it with you and you can still be triggered like there's plenty of things I've thought I'm definitely over that and that doesn't bother me anymore and then one day I'm in work and before I know it I'm up to 90 and you're you know you're worked up about a situation and then you kind of catch yourself and you're like Oh yeah, I thought I thought I put that to bed. I thought I was done with that, like, but obviously not, like, you know. So I think that them kind of things are very hard to change. It's not an easy task to do that, like, you know. No, no, very Um, much so.
1: You you said something there that I want to delve into. mm. You noticed you weren't. I can't remember exactly what you said, but you noticed something about yourself, yeah, which would lead you to believe like who within yourself is doing the noticing. Yeah, yeah. So I think we've briefly talked about on previous episodes this idea of there being kind of multiple multiple yous the angry you the sad you the loving father you or whatever else but i had heard of things like ego even just take ego for example before i had done psychedelics i'd heard of the idea of an ego and that was that the I, the fran McCone and then your soul or your subconscious was something kind of deeper that was the limit of my understanding of the unconscious and the ego say Pre having done psychedelics, but since you introduced them to me, I've taken on one occasion at least a sufficient dose to get what's known as ego death. Yeah. So it wasn't until I had an ego death experience, where the the kind of the viewer, the I, the the Fran McKeown, the yeah. persona, that was killed or died. Like I experienced, I experienced death, multiple deaths, if I'm yeah. being honest, and I disintegrated and dissolved, and all that was left was kind of. Um, a sense of oneness with the universe. And I I know to anybody who hasn't done psychedelics, that just might sound a bit strange, but what I'm conscious of is people who've listened to our previous conversations, what I'm conscious of is them having followed us up until now, but now might start losing us because, or losing me because I've gone a lot further down that psychedelics journey since having spoken to you last day. So my perception of all these things have completely changed have yours having spent the next two years so you so sorry, just to to bring it back round, you do psychedelics, not regularly, but you alluded to it at the start that every so often you have to bring yourself back and remind yourself of of that experience. So
0: Yeah, I suppose I don't think I was I definitely don't think I was saying that that I'd have to do that through this through the psychedelics. I think any of the times now that I'm tending to do psychedelics Is usually because it's other people that want to do them. Do you know what I mean? Like anytime I'm really... Like I... It would be very rare now that I would do psychedelics for myself. Or I would really be going in there for an intention for myself. Which I did the last time I talked to them. But that had been the first time in a while. My... Really any of the psychedelics I'm taking now would be to do with other people who are looking for healing. And to do... You know... Because they obviously want to have that experience themselves. So it's never really so much for myself that I'm doing them anymore. Do you know... Um, and the people that you're helping, who typically, like,
1: presumably you're not on the street saying, you know, who wants help with psychedelics? People oh, are no, coming I do. to yeah, you. Yeah, they're down Trimgate Street. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, of but, course you know, not. Is, 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 there something, is there something that unifies the type of person that might present themselves to yourself with an interest? Is there something that connects them all?
0: Yeah, I suppose they're probably searching for something, aren't they? A lot of time, you know, it will happen through... Conversations that will come up by you know, some people would say chance, other people would say synchronicity, like to you know, but they'd be conversations to where I'd be involved with people. And you know, like as i done with even Dave, um, how the conversation just came out with him, like I could be working in the house and I ended up seeing him with the Honor t shirt on him, and all of a sudden I was like, Oh, Dave, like, has the Honor t shirt, so he's obviously into Aubrey Marcus and Joe Rogan, and that literally sparked mine and his conversations, like to you know, but that would happen at different times, and or it would people people who would know me as well, like, you know, people who have, you know, heard my story and, you know, know exactly kind of what i done in Peru and things like that, and they would tend to, you know, say that they're definitely interested in having them experiences and stuff like that, so that would be more or less how that would tend to come up. Like, it's not something I'm going around broadcasting on the side of the van or anything like that, like that, you know, I've done psychedelic experiences or that, you know, like, it usually would come about in a kind of a natural form of a conversation, like, to you know, and usually it would go from there, like, to you know, and people are genuinely interested in it because people are suffering. Like, the world definitely seems like it's in chaos at the minute, doesn't it? Like, to you know, like, you look around the world and, you know, there's, there's so much suffering going on in the minute. People are, you know, mentally, mentally suffering, you know. There's an awful lot going on in the world that has people, you know, even w- when you t- take into account, like, the... um the use of technologies and things like that. Like I think it's further and further stripping us away back from nature. But I think people are genuinely interested to hear about these things and, and see that maybe there is somewhere. So we've we all, especially in the last few years, like there's a massive turn away from religion. But when you, when you turn away from religion, something has to fill that void in people's lives. So... What people are now, what I find more and more people are starting to turn towards is they're hearing these stories of people who are going out and have drank ayahuasca. They're hearing these stories of people who've used, you know, psilocybin mushrooms, whether it be in Mexico, whether it be, you know, in Ireland, you know, no matter where it is, people are hearing these stories and hearing the benefits of them. Or even the science community, like it's such a movement right now, like, you know, like even only what was it this week there was a the interview in the paper or whatever about the first clinical trials for psilocybin mushrooms being done in dublin like it's happening all over the world and what they're finding it is is these modalities as i spoke on the last two podcasts which are healing people they're changing people's perspectives and it's happening on a massive scale like there's so many people who are now interested in this way of life and you know maybe it is because the religions have failed so much, but something has to fill the void. If we if, if we don't have something to believe in and something to give us hope and understanding, then we naturally turn towards nihilism and things like that. Like you you look at even like the way Jordan Peterson speaks about how, you know, back in Soviet Russia and different places like that, how when God was taken out of the equation, people turned to the state. So and when they turned to the state they were willing to kill and murder for the state. And that's because there's something missing and lacking in their lives. But people need direction like we all I definitely work best in my life when I've got a goal to aim towards and I've got, you know, something to be focused on and things like that. They are definitely what make me the healthiest and the happiest and the best person I am. And I think people are now turning towards these plant medicines because they're hearing so many good reports. They're hearing you know incredible stories of people you know who are suffering from depression anxiety all of them things it's, it's and it's not it's not like it's just a magic pill like but like it, it it nearly is because people are having these experiences and it's one or two experiences and it's changing their life completely they're reconnecting to you know what you want to call whether it's source or the, or divine or whatever it is like and it's it's taking away a lot of the issues that they're having and the more and more people that hear that, and the more and more people hear that there's, you know, there's no side effects. It's not like the medication that were being handed out in chemists and all of them kind of things. That there's no what there's no side effects to these things. Like I've been suffering in a dark hole there with depression for six or eight months, and the tablets are even longer. And the tablets they've given me, they're you know they're they're somewhat alleviating that, but they're also leading me that I'm very numb, very numb to the world around me. But you can go and you can have this psychedelic experience. You can take the mushroom or you can take ayahuasca, and it's reconnecting you to again, I would say the divine. Some people would say the source. Other people would say it's just your higher, it's it's your subconscious. But whatever it is that it's connecting you to is healing you. So why would why not have that in your life? Like, you know, it's only in how long are we dealing with, you know, medicine as it is now medicine as in a in a tablet. And to me, that kind of medicine, I'm not saying it doesn't work for some things. It works for an awful lot of things. And having that medicine is absolutely brilliant, like, do you know what I mean? But sometimes all oh, it doesn't it doesn't heal the illness. It just numbs it and dulls it down so it becomes bearable. So if that's your option, if your option is, is to numb everything down and for everything to become bearable or to have these experiences with plants that are grown from the ground, I know which one I take every day. You know, you definitely I don't mean I'd be taking the psychedelics every day. Every day. <laughs> I, don't mean, I know, You know, if you ask me each time, I'd always go for the plants. It's a natural thing that's grown from the ground, you know, with no side effects and the benefits that are coming out now to humanity and science are proving this exact thing it's not it's not like you know it's just some people coming back from the jungle that are talking about this and saying this like the science now has been done when, in John Hopkins as you said you've heard about them happening It's it's a bi- it must be a big thing when you're hearing an Irish scientist talking about being able to administer psilocybin mushrooms to people as a cure for depression in a country like Ireland where you know things were so strict and we seemed so backwards up until 10, 20 years ago, didn't we like to know?
1: Oh yeah, the zeitgeist has certainly changed, absolutely, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, And I think people like, even the likes of myself to to the smallest of degrees Mm. and the likes of Joe Rogan on the largest of degrees and everyone in between all has their kind of part to play in in spreading the good word. (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure. Um, It's funny you said though, you mentioned that people are getting great benefit from the experience because it's not it's not the drug per se it's the experience the person gets from mm. the drug it's not of fair course, to say because I, I think that's something that might be missed on a lot of people who mm. aren't as familiar or who've never had one of these experiences
0: or one of these what, what's the best word do you think experience trip yeah I suppose or? yeah I suppose you would say just an experience like yeah that's so that's what it is everything is just experience isn't it but I suppose the way I would always kind of phrase them is, is like you know you're talking about the mushroom and saying, you know, some people say, oh, so it's it's just a drug or it's just this or it's that. Like, but to me, it's a key. So the key to the lock. So it unlocks, it unlocks the divine within you. And that's, you know, that's what I would believe that they do. Like, you know, like, they obviously there's different names from some people would say psychedelics. Some people would say um, plant medicines. Other people would say, what's the word I'm thinking of? Entheogens. Entheogens. And what entheogens means is, To unlock the God within. And that's what all the tribes, all the different cultures throughout humanity would have described them as. Like, you know, they're they're God manifesting things. Like, you know, and you can, like, it's not, the the mushroom is literally that. It's literally the key to the experience. So you literally take the mushroom and the experience happens within you. It all happens inside your mind. And that's why these things are done in a, you know, in a ceremonial setting you know, they're done in the dark and you literally go inside yourself to find the answers. You don't you don't look to the outside world for the answers when you're using these medicines. It's all going inside yourself and, you know, when you're in these ceremonies, you know, there is a certain amount of talking and there is, you know, because there's so much going on that you need to just, you know, touch base with reality, you know, maybe every hour or so just to make sure that everybody else is getting what you're getting, like, you know, and or, you know, that everybody else is okay and things like that but you know that's what they are to me i believe i fully believe they're medicines and i believe they're medicines that nature have given us and they're they're curing an awful lot of the diseases that our society seems to be suffering from right now like you know
1: no what i doubt but they they don't seem to be curing the egos as such as much as they're kind of almost again the language kind of fails me here but soothing the soul Mm. Have you gotten better over the last couple of years because you're you're at this a couple of years ahead of me say at just explaining yourself like one thing that I came across recently was this idea that your unconscious doesn't speak English mm. so you, it can't be it can't be spoken to directly yeah. say yeah. like your ego can so you're, that's yeah. one one distinction that I find helpful is that your your subconscious doesn't speak english yeah. so but what it do, what you can communicate with it through are symbols, yeah. And that symbol might be a hieroglyph, an actual symbol or an icon, or it yeah. could be a mood or a, a creepy environment. Or, you know, when you, you walk into an environment, you might not necessarily say to yourself, this place is scary, but you're fucking scared. Yeah, that's yeah. Your, your unconscious that's feeling that as opposed to yeah. your ego as such. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the, the reason I, I, I think I'm going to keep coming back to these kind of definitions. Mm. So again, the, the way I... I I'm starting to conceptualise the ego is that if a plane, say again, by, by way of analogy, if an aeroplane is my body, the cockpit is my brain and the ego is the pilot
0: as such. Yeah. Does that kind of work? Yeah, that makes sense. All right, yeah, definitely. And like, the idea of the ego, like it's a funny one because, you know, in a lot of, you know, new age thinking and all of that, like they would all talk about, you know, or wanted to, you know, get rid of the ego or kill off the ego and all of that. But, I would not buy into that at all, like, you know, the, the ego is the thing, What I would, how I would view the ego is, is the ego is the thing that's, as you, exactly as you said, is piloting you around this world, like, do you know what I mean, you need your ego to go out and set up your own business, or to go to work, or to go and, you know, have relationships with your wife and your kids, and, you know, all of them things, so, the idea that the ego is a bad thing, you know, I certainly, and needs to be gotten rid of, is something I definitely don't buy into And that's, I think, along the lines of a lot of the the new age stuff. And, you know, while... When you're on the medicine, there is what they call an ego dissolution. So the ego kind of breaks away and you're experiencing your consciousness, maybe of your higher self or whatever. But by the end of that experience, you're definitely glad to see the ego again. Like, I'm glad Ivan McQuillan is there to get up, go home, and get up the next day and have a day with my, you know, with Elaine and the kids, like, you know what I mean? You need the ego to navigate the world. So the idea of getting rid of the ego is not something I would buy into in any way. Like, your ego is you. Like, it's how you navigate. And as you said, how you pilot through this world, like, you know, and you want that, but you want it to be a healthy ego. You want... You want you know you need to be humble and grounded with the ego so that it doesn't run amok because the ego can either be an incredible friend or it can be an incredible tyrant and it depends on how much you let it run amok or how much you can kind of keep it in control or whatever you know and i think i think that's what you know meditation and different things like that kind of teaches you know when you're meditating you're beginning to see these ideas and what you kind of do is, and you were nearly alluding to it earlier, is, is you become the watcher of ideas. So the ideas are flowing in your mind when you're meditating. And on, a, on your normal day-to-day, you could be in work and the ideas are going and you're constantly latching on to them ideas and acting on them ideas. But when you begin to meditate and you begin to watch the ideas and realize, oh, them ideas aren't me, so where are they coming from? So you can kind of, you you begin to kind of separate them. So when, you know, when anger arises or, you know, when, you know, false pride or any of that arises in you, you, you can catch that quickly and kind of, you know, and I think that's kind of the benefits from meditation and all that, like, and that's how you kind of keep your, your egos in check in a way, do you know what I mean? And that's when it, it can be it can be your friend rather than your tyrant. It's your tyrant when you're constantly following every idea that comes up in your mind and acting as if that's you and solely you. But the, the big question meditation leaves you with is, is where are them ideas coming from? Is it the subconscious? Is it coming from outside of your consciousness? You know, that's the big thing, but the beauty with I find that meditation is, is that that's what it does it, it kind of allows you to see that not every impulse has to be acted on like you know
1: yeah and that you're you're not the you're not the author of your thoughts necessarily exactly i think yeah. what you're speaking about can be kind of encapsulated in the word mindfulness if, yeah without you be that, yeah, that yeah, yeah
0: that's exactly it yeah, the yeah idea it that it is being aware yeah. it's awareness
1: awareness yeah yeah um so the idea of meditation from my perspective at least is to you know sit comfortably uh, preferably in a quiet room concentrate on something typically the breath close your eyes and just breathe in breathe out breathe in breathe out and the goal or the what you're trying to do is to empty your mind clear your mind of thoughts and when you do that it it it's not that it's not the when you do that it's as you try to do that you realize that all these thoughts keep popping into your head yeah and that can show you explicitly that they're not yours. Yeah. Do you know what yeah, kind of way it's it's, yeah. it's 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 a weird one to kind of quiet in your mind and for your mind to be populated with all no. these different ideas.
0: Well, you're uh, watching the ideas rather than thinking you're thinking them. Do you yes, know what I mean? Like, yeah, so you, you see them arise. You're watching the ideas, and you, before when you're unaware of them, kind of things you think you're the one that's constantly having them ideas but as you begin to meditate and you see them thoughts constantly right because they, they are, they're a constant flow like i i don't think like well, I, i've not experienced it in the few years i've meditating where them thoughts shut off for too long like you can shut them down for a couple of seconds and you know then all of a sudden they're, they're back there again and again it seems to be a constant flow of consciousness through your mind but you become aware that you're not the one thinking them, that you're just the one who's viewing and acting on them, you know? And I think that can change your life for the benefit because, you know, and that's not to say that it'll stop you from getting angry because you're still going to get angry. It's just that you'd hopefully catch that quicker than if you are unaware of the fact that it's just a feeling that you're having, you know?
1: Yeah, you can think of some somebody comes to mind that makes you angry, that bitch ex-girlfriend or whoever or whatever it is, that comes to mind and instead of identifying it as a thought that's after populating itself in your consciousness, you go, fucking bitch. Yeah. <laughs> you're in that mentality then yeah. for as long as you're, yeah. those kind oh, of negative thoughts yeah. keep coming up. Yeah. And I think there's something, um, there's a, a positive feedback loop there. The more negative thoughts yeah. you are having, the more yeah. negative thoughts you're likely to have. And then we start ruminating course, and yeah. going round and round in circles. Yeah. I actually yeah. caught myself, um, was it during COVID or not long before COVID? I was at home, I was stressed out over half a dozen different things, I wasn't long in the door from work, the phone was buzzing and she was probably after annoying me, do you know, or <laughs> with something thing, I was just I was having a bad day and my little uh, six year old Fion goes, daddy, daddy, you know, will you look at something or whatever and I was like, oh, not now buddy and I said that bit out loud but I kept the rest in my head, <laughs> and the thing that I kept in my head was, "Can you not see, Daddy's tearing himself apart?" Because yeah. I was, I was, I was doing something. I was, I was all up in my own head. Yeah. There was all this going on, and then Fionn interrupted me. Yeah, and I was like, "Jesus Christ, man! Can you not see? I'm busy yeah. fucking destroying <laughs> my own mind here with negative thinking." Which
0: you said, up like. open your own head." Yeah, and no, that's that's the very thing. much that's so. Like. When you're not in awareness, you're up in your own head. You're in that thought, and you think that everything you're thinking is you. You know. But you yeah. see,
1: I, before I had taken the psychedelics, before having met yourself and introduced them to me, I would have done a certain amount of meditation. I would have been, I would have considered myself relatively mindful. I would have caught myself on several occasions, getting angry, especially in the car, and then kind of gone, fucking hell, Fran, you're roaring and shouting to no one in the car. You know, <laughs> I think we've all uh, relax. We done that. <laughs> but it, it's great to catch yourself doing that on the way home mm. instead of pulling in your driveway and welcoming your kids oh, with that. Yeah, blood flow and that yeah. everything going on in your own head. Well like, um,
0: it's you know they asked the Buddha, Do you know, you know what was the main things you gained from meditation? He said nothing, didn't gain anything from meditation what I lost was anger, anxiety. Fear yes, 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 yes. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah you're you don't too much, gain not, anything. It's not that you don't from, have yeah, enough. You've yeah, too much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You need you to let go of something. It's, so. not, it's not, with meditation, it's not something that you're trying to aim towards. Oh, if I get to here, I'll be there. Or if I get to here, you know, I can get me, you know, me, me red stripe on me belt. Like, do you know what I mean? It's more, you're trying to, you know, lose that anger and become much more aware of yourself, you know, and catch them things before they develop into what can become real issues as you said the last thing you want to be doing is you know screaming and shouting at your kids you know yeah which, which so, so do, many of, of us course. do yeah you sure, know? of course but sure that's human nature isn't it like you know it's it is unfortunate that especially you know especially as you know as you know yourself a businessman there's pressures that come with that there's pressures with, that comes with being a father the same as your exact pressures that there is with being a mother and we all live very stressful lives and sometimes it is easy to go out, you know, to go home and, you know, let that anger engulf you and maybe snap at the kids or snap at herself or whatever. And neither of you mean it, obviously, like, do you know what I mean? Like, but when you're in that red mist, it's very hard to catch yourself out of it, isn't it? Like, so oh, very much so. Yeah, very so that's much. That's what so. meditation has probably helped me with. And I think, you know, the in the last psychedelic experience, I had it kept stressing to me how important the breath is. How important, you you know, to return to your breath is like when you're in a stressful state, a stressful state and when you're maybe flipping out angry about something to just go to your breath because your your breath, you know, how they would, the the Eastern philosophies would decide, it anchors you into the present moment. And in the present moment, that's where you clear your head. Like, it's only when you're unaware of what's going on and your surroundings around you that you lose that plot. But if you can keep bringing it back to your breath when you hit them moments, it'll kind of, it'll pass over a lot quicker than if you don't, you know. And that's definitely what the last experience on the psychedelics was showing me. Like, the, you know, in them situations, constantly go back to your breath. Like, just, you know, deep breaths. And we're, you, you look at the work that likes of kind of Wim Hof and people like that are doing now. We're only scratching the surface on how important our breath is like you know the teachings that he's doing and you know even that as a cure for depression and anxiety it seems it seems like at the minute there seems to be a real return to wisdom that we may have lost in the past back to basics back to basics so back to the the natural things like and more and more people seem to be even like with CBD oils and different kind of things like that like people are more and more inclined now to, to look towards you know A cure from nature. And it's my belief that nature gives us the cure for everything. Nature has given us the poison and the cure for everything. You know, like, I always kind of laughed. Beside every nettle, you'll always find a dark leaf. Like, you know, so the poison is there and so is the cure. And I think nature has given us these medicines. And it's no, to me, it's no coincidence that at a time when we are in chaos, the world is in chaos at the minute. And it's no, it's no coincidence for me that these plant medicines are now starting to spread across the world at a time when we need them the most. And people are using them the most. Do you think, it's funny because I was listening to a bit,
1: uh, Old School George Carlin there recently, and it was from uh, 50 or 60 years ago, and he was going on about how everyone was protesting. These guys are protesting mm. this. These guys are protesting that. These guys are protesting your right to protest, and yeah, yeah, it just—it yeah. all felt very yeah. 2020. Yeah, yeah. And I just—I yeah. wonder how much of the world being in chaos that we think mm. it is now is always in chaos.
0: Yeah, I know there. There definitely is elements of that, but you know when I say in chaos like I don't say chaos as it's a bad thing because uh, you know as I've spoken to you before about like I would feel that everything is in complete balance like chaos and order have to live together and out of the chaos rises order you know so the idea like it definitely seems that you even look at you know the things that are happening in America now with the race riots and all of that kind of stuff that's going on you know Carl Jung spoke about that eventually collectively as a species we have to experience a dark night of the soul together and that what that dark night of the soul will show up will be our racism our sexism you know we're seeing a lot of that kind of play out in society After at the minute aren't we like a complete divide within society and that's not just in America you you look at any you know anything that's online at the minute. Now, I'm not on any of them, so Elaine will be telling me this or I'd be seeing where I might see it would be on, say, maybe the journal. So I'd look into the, the journal and I look up a story on the journal. And then you go down to the comments section. And it's literally like, oh, uh, oh, it's just everybody's at each other's throats or whatever. And that's not to say that that's what's going on everywhere around the world. I don't mean the whole world is in chaos. I just mean we seem to be going through a chaotic time. Like we're looking at, you know, weather patterns that are changing. We've got this pandemic that we're all dealing with. Like it, it's a bit of a shitstorm at the minute. Like, you know, and that's what it seems like. But to me, that's a good thing because I always, I would be of the belief that out of chaos rises order. And likewise, maybe we've been through a time, you know, if you look back through our history, while there has been, you know, as as you're speaking about, there has been different events and different things that have happened that are bad. But we've lived in a relatively, you know, safe time over the last, what, thousand years or so anyway. And maybe now we're about to see a bit of chaos coming into the world. As I said, the the pandemics, the change in weather and all of that. But to me, it's all just a learning process. Like, you know, it's all about... helping us to view ourselves and view the world around us, like, you know, like, you you have to look at the situation, even over in America and stuff like that, and you need to look at, you know, what's happening with them race riots and all of them kind of things, and you need to look at yourself, you need to hold the world up as a mirror to yourself, and the things that, you know, and far be it from me to tell people what they need to do, I'm only, when I'm talking like that, I'm talking about myself, that's what I try to do. I try to hold the world up as a mirror and if I see racism I look at okay, there's issues within myself that maybe there's racism or there's sexism or there's different things and only only by becoming again that word aware of them things can you heal them and change them. And only as a society, by becoming aware of them issues that are happening over there, can we heal them, can you know, can we talk about them the worst thing that seems to be happening is, and it seems to be happening very much from the left, is that they want to silence all that. But we can only we can only change and make it a better world if we talk through these situations. You know, that's what I think. I definitely think what's happening now in the world right now is it's putting up a mirror for us to see all our nastiness and all, you know, the things that we're not happy in ourselves about. And it's it's up to you to try and use that as a tool to change yourself and to change yourself to be a better person. Like, you know, no, whatever
1: doubt. And I, th- I think that idea that I've heard this, this saying before, maybe, maybe I have, maybe I'm, maybe I don't know it well enough to understand it, but this idea that when somebody annoys us, what, what is annoying us about their actions is how it reflects on our own behavior. Mm. I've heard that before but to me I I think I, maybe I'm not maybe I'm missing something but to me it's more accurately put that when you see something that let's say bugs you or annoys you or repulses you or whatever it is it can be something that you have inside you it might necessarily be like yeah. if you're whatever you're turned off if you're if you're turned off by racism say that yeah. doesn't necessarily mean that you're you're, you're racist say hmm. but you view racist actions as disgusting so you, it, it invokes a disgust response yeah. do you know what i know
0: yeah well what you're what you're talking about is I think it's where Carl Jung again spoke about that shadow side so we all have a shadow side in us and when you are seeing something in somebody that you don't like let's say for instance somebody's a gossiper and you're looking at that person and you're going, Jesus, that fella's an awful gossiper, isn't he? But what it, what you're really doing is you're projecting outwardly of yourself that idea that, you, you know, the fact that you gossip about people and everybody does it, you know what I mean? But you're projecting out onto that person rather than saying, right, they're the issues with myself. You can see that in other people. And that's, you know, why they speak about the world being a mirror to you. Everything is a mirror of yourself. What you're What you're seeing in other people that you don't like is a mirror image of the things you don't like about yourself but are unable to admit to yourself because you're not aware of the situations. You're We bury them things deep and down. And, no, oh, I don't gossip or, you know, I'm not racist or I'm not sexist or all them things. But maybe, you know, on closer inspection of your life, which is what Carl Jung's theories and kind of, you know, way of understanding psychology is, is exactly that. You need to look at them issues and see if they are, you know, things that are affecting you or things that are driving you. Like, you know...
1: No, no, no! Absolutely, without a doubt. <laughs> young, before I forget, wasn't wasn't it him that said that? I just getting back to what we were talking about about ideas. Was it young that said that we don't people don't have ideas that ideas have people?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think it was. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I think a big part of what's wrong with just the human population generally these days is is the polarization. So people, I, you know, whether it's identity politics, people on different sides of the political spectrum they can only see the trueness in their own ideology and they become a spokesperson for their ideology as opposed to a free thinking an independent human being and i think one of the beauties of the psychedelic experience for me and in particular with the ego dissolution was when that when you experience that the death of fran mccown you're still there having an experience you know you're in inverted Mm. commas you're still there you die and something remains what that i think has shown me is just the folly in the human condition the way that we get so wrapped up in in our own egos and our own echo chambers that we don't we can't see the wood from the trees that we 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 see somebody else with with a different opinion opinion than ours and we literally cannot understand how that person could think like that without being inherently evil or inherently bad or yeah. in need of repression in some way.
0: Well, I think I think a lot of it boils down to, two: is that people it seem to be coming a lot to a conversation and not wanting to have a conversation, just wanting to be right. So, literally, when you're talking your talk, they're literally sitting there in their head and they're trying the best way to win the argument. And unfortunately, you know, that isn't really the best way to have a conversation, and unfortunately, we're not we're not going to change. I suppose the ills of the world, are we, if we're not having proper, open conversation? Where the best way I think to come to a conversation, and now I'm 100% guilty of not always doing this, is to come there with the basis that you know nothing. But there's too many people come to conversations thinking they know everything, yes. and they've got the answer to everything, like. And I think that's a massive issue that you're seeing played out on social media and all of them kind of different things at the minute, like, because they are, it's all very polarizing. But if, if people can more come to the conversation to learn something rather than to teach something, I think we'll have far better conversations. And I don't think we we'll get bogged down in that I'm right or you're right or, do you know what I mean? I love I love how Joe Rogan talks about having, he's not married to his ideas Hmm. So he's in no way, you know, he's more than willing to change his point of view on, you know, when better information comes along or when, you know, thing. And I, I think that's the way we should all look at kind of conversations and look at life, like treat life like, you know, nothing. And you learn an awful lot more than if you've convinced yourself you know everything already. You know you won't learn anything new if you've if you've closed yourself off and you become just as dogmatic as the religions that we all give out about, or you know the science that we give You know that some people give out about and say is dogmatic is if you cling on to your ideas with no want to change them. Or, you know, get fresh understanding with them. They just become, as you said, an ideology, don't they? Like, you know, and you've married yourself to an ideology that you're not willing to ever give up on, you're going to fight to the death. Well, you really, you, you identify with it, so you are exactly, the ideology. Exactly, exactly so
1: giving up on your ideology, you yeah. like giving up on yourself. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. But you see, that's the beauty of what the psychedelic keeps showing you. There's a constant... There's a constant theme that runs through psychedelics of death and rebirth. And what you begin to kind of see to yourself is that, oh, I'm actually reborn every day. Mm. I die and I'm reborn every day. And so should my ideas die and be be reborn every day. The things that I thought yesterday might not necessarily be the things that I thought that I think today. And that's, I think, the best way to kind of look at life, like to know, because you, you... you need to be able to change and adapt when, when better information comes along. Like, you know... No, without a doubt.
1: And it, it's it's brilliant having had the recordings that I've had with people, especially with yourself, say, because I listened to our first two initial conversations back before you came on today, just to kind of mm. remind myself um, where we kind of left off to a certain degree. But one thing that I noticed myself doing was I, I was probing, because you mentioned a lot of things like, you know, God and spirit and soul... And if you, if we had tried to have that, have that conversation, let's say 10 years previous, you wouldn't have been on for a second episode. Cause I would, <laughs> yeah. have, I would have written you off in the fucking Probably woo-woo character. I mightn't have liked, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, been. But it, it's funny though, because the, the younger version of me would have been very dogmatic insofar mm. as I was a, kind of a, a materialist, absolutist scientist. If you, if you couldn't examine it with a microscope, mm. it didn't exist. Yeah. I wasn't quite that bad, but I yeah. wasn't far off it. Um, and i suppose the psychedelic experience for me kind of blew that notion out of the water a little and Mm. there's i've always been a big fan of science and still am and within science there's an effort to find what's called the unifying theory something that will unify einstein's theory of relativity and quantum physics now that's pretty much the limit of my yeah, understanding yeah, yeah, yeah. of it's i wouldn't more than I, know. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't i wouldn't try and go any further at that but yeah. basically there's um einstein has a theory that works absolutely fucking perfectly with things moving really really fast at, and on huge scales and his mathematics just cannot be questioned yeah. but then there's quantum mechanics which is the opposite things that are infinitesimally small and the mathematics there apparently works out absolutely perfectly. Nobody denies it, but the two of them can't coexist. Scatter, yeah. And the analogy I'm going to try and draw is that what I'd love, or I suppose what, not what I'd love to see happen, what I'm finding myself doing is being in search of a unifying theory of religions. Yeah. And what I love about what psychedelics do is there's no psychedelic doctrine. Yeah. Do you know the kind of way that Christianity has its doctrine? All yeah. the monotheisms have their doctrines. Yeah. doctrines. And even the, the pagan religions um, and all religions, they've, they've all had, whether it's a Ten Commandments or a list of things you can and can't do, yeah. there's, there's right and wrong and we have the answer, basically. But all psychedelics do is they, they don't even show you. They bring you to, I don't know what I might call it, a divine space. Yeah they don't bring it to a Catholic space yeah. but but I suppose they bring a Catholic to a Catholic space so yeah. they, they, they could bring a, a Jew to a Jewish space yeah. um, like I think if my mum was to have a high dose of psychedelics then again it depends on her set setting I mean if she had it in a natural history museum she might have yeah. a different one than she'd have if she had it in a church or a cathedral um,
0: you see the, the psychedelic experience seems to be very much on symbolism doesn't it do you know what I mean like I've had like I've 100% on psychedelics seen like um, Ganesh from Hinduism and different things like that like I've definitely seen some of that them icons within the experience but I know exactly what you're saying like it's it's, it's not like it's saying, you know, this way or that way is the right way. And maybe maybe what consciousness is, maybe, maybe consciousness doesn't look at anything as right or wrong or good or bad. Maybe we're the ones. Maybe the ego is the one that looks at right or wrong or good or bad. Maybe when consciousness is at its, you know, within that realm, maybe it's neither good nor bad. Maybe it's just an experience. Maybe it's the egoic mind that kind of turns it into, well, I believe this is good or this is bad. Maybe, you know, consciousness at its fundamental state is just is just that it's an act of being with no boundaries, no, you know, no right or wrong, him or her, up or down. Maybe it's just a a constant flow of experience, like, you know, and it's the egoic mind that can that can put it into boxes and tends to uh, compartmentalize it like, you know, and maybe that's what the ego is doing. The ego is creating the separation between me and you that's what's creating the separation or the belief that there's a separation between me and you because you said you know when you when you experienced that ego dissolution that you became in tune with, with the oneness of the universe mm. so maybe what maybe the ego's job while you're down here and on this existence is is to put that boundary between me and you but maybe when you leave here there's no boundaries everything dissolves into that one field of consciousness like you know so maybe consciousness at its fundamental state and outside of the material realm there's no separation it's literally an infinite flow like you know
1: and do you think that, again that, i know this might in, you might not have a, a, a go-to answer for this but is that what animals have so animals don't have the ego. Like a, a fox considers mm. itself to be whatever it is. Yeah. It, it, it's not, you know, Percy Magoo the fox. Yeah, Do you look know yeah, at yeah.
0: Well, children are the same. You look at a you, you look at a child till a child le- learns language. How does it think? So for the first year of a child's life, it's just constantly experiencing. There's no thought, yeah, it's process. Actions. It's just experiencing in you know complete you know, wonder of the world, like, and, you know, that's, I suppose, you know, one of the teachings of Jesus Christ was to find the kingdom of heaven, return to your childlike state, and, you know, maybe what the, the teaching behind that was, was to, you know, to get rid of that egoic thinking mind, like, you know what I mean, to silence the thinking mind and just experience everything in the present moment as it is, and then there's no boundaries, there's no, there's no nothing, like, you know... Yeah, it's
1: it's interesting because one thing I noticed with my own two kids, uh, a, a very small sample size to be fair, but if they were kicking off as infants, as babies, they'd be screaming the place I mean, But if you brought them outside, yeah, it it just it just seemed they'd just stop they just stopped screaming and they just kind of. Yeah. But and I wonder, to the baby's mind, is that almost like a psychedelic experience? So they're they're in they're in the nice warm room, the nursery, or your sitting room, or whatever it is they're fami- very familiar with their surroundings. Babies, you don't bring babies much place anywhere. Do you are know, like, yeah, in a way yeah. they, they kind of, you stick at yeah, home a for a while. Exactly, yeah. but to be in an enclosed space that you know is safe with all your familiar smells and sounds and all the rest of it, to get yourself into a heightened state of anger or alertness or whatever a mm. kid kicking off is, and then to be brought outside into the daylight where there's sky and clouds yeah, yeah, and yeah. trees, like, yeah. it must be just, I don't know, I've often likened that to the, to it almost being like a psychedelic experience, because, as you were saying, like newborns especially, like what must it be to experience the world as a newborn, like oh, be- before the ego has yeah. Developed. developed? Yeah, because yeah. that that's that. And like, again, I, that's going to send me down another rabbit hole. I've never really thought back that far in in time in my own life, to, yeah. whereby I hadn't developed an ego yet. And if you haven't developed it yet, I don't know. It's just it's, it's just a, a fascinating.
0: Oh, no, definitely. talk like it's Notice just it I don't know it really is but it, it ha- like it, the way I would kind of think about it is is that they're just purely experiencing do you know what I mean and maybe like as we were saying like so the fundamental part of consciousness maybe it is just experience because the child doesn't learn right from wrong till it learns the words right from wrong it doesn't look yes. at a board and say or it doesn't. It doesn't look at a bird and think bird till it's taught that it's a bird. It's just experiencing what the bird is. But as soon as you've taught the word bird, it'll never experience that bird the same way again. Yes, because it, it's automatically the mind is thinking. Oh, there's a bird that flies and blah blah blah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, l- language is massively
1: mm. limiting. But I mean, we have to limit yeah. Yeah. our experience because if if we're constantly perpetually experiencing mm. everything yeah. at the same time absolutely you, know, yeah. no,
0: you don't get the microgreens don't get grown <laughs> <laughs> certainly don't. the yeah, podcast doesn't yeah. get and recorded whatever else hated, yeah. yeah fucking no, sure. sure but like you know again to go back to to language like we we talk about how we struggle to you know come out with the right language to properly describe a psychedelic experience and there's a lovely uh kind of teaching within uh, Vedanta Hinduism and that is that the ego the language is a product of the ego and the ego can never fully understand the divine it can only be experienced so you know as i've said before i've had these conversations with loads of people and i've done my best to explain to them what the psychedelic experience is but anything i ever tell anyone can never live up to the psychedelic experience Do you know what i mean and it's because the language the language is constructed by the ego and the ego can never fully experience the divine because you lose the ego to fully experience that divine within the psychedelic experience it's ego dissolution and you then experience the divine and meditators you know across Buddhism and you know the Hindus and Taoists and all that when they say they meditate it's literally that like you know that the the ego is dropped and you experience reality for what it is like you know so you can't bring you can't bring that experience back because as soon as you try to use language to explain it you've lost its essence because it only can be, the divine can only be experienced. It's not taught of through the logic, the, you know, the logic, the mind of logic and things like that, you know.
1: Yeah, and I think it's fair to say that it's not just a psychedelic experience that can't be ex- explained through English, say, or vocabulary mm. um, or language. But, like, I've, I've scored goals in soccer, I've mm. scored tries in yeah. rugby, I've yeah. won fights, I've lost fights. Yeah. You know, there's there's a whole pile of different things and experiences that I've had that I could try and explain. Yeah, to you. yeah. I could yeah. try and tell yeah. you what it feels like to, yeah. you know, score the winning goal and you know the final or whatever it is like. You know, there's a million and one different examples of it, or
0: whether it's well, maybe it's all experience then. How hey, do you mean? Like maybe all experience can't be properly, you know, described. It has to be experienced. It has to be a lived experience. And I would believe maybe that's that's why we're here. We're here to evolve and to grow. As you said, if we had had that first podcast 10 years ago, you probably would have stuck it in the bin like, but it's only through the evolution of your consciousness that you're now at a stage where you're willing to open up to these kind of things. But you've only opened up to them through the experience, through the experience of the psychedelic experience, or through the experience of, you know, different conversations and podcasts you've listened to. Like, you know, they, it all—it's experience that evolves consciousness. I think. Do you know what I mean? It's by living the life down here that your consciousness evolves, and it's own you can only do that by having these experiences down in the material realm. Yeah. So, you're, That's you're, how I feel about
1: it. Would you just to see if we're on on the same page or even the same book? Um, fuck I've interrupted myself there and lost my own t- train of thought yeah so if is it fair to say then that by reading books you're evolving or advancing your ego but by uh, going out in the world and having experiences you're evolving your unconscious or your soul or like would you would you equate the unconscious and the subconscious and soul and spirit are they all one and the same
0: thing to you or yeah I'm not I don't know to be honest with you like the subconscious I genuinely I don't know and it's not something I would overly think about too much like I don't know whether the subconscious and the soul are the same thing and I'm not even fully convinced I know myself what the soul is like sometimes I toss that idea around and You know, sometimes I would come up with the idea of a soul where you come here, you learn, you grow and you evolve and you move on to the next stage. And then there's times where I think, you know, that the soul is literally, you know, you come here and maybe as you die, you just merge back into that stream of consciousness. And, and, you know, you don't go on further, like, do you know what I mean? Like, I would flip-flop between them two ideas at times, like, you know, of whether they're, you know how important the soul is or what the soul is. Like, and I suppose, you know, I would more believe the idea that your soul is kind of an internal soul that comes here and is reincarnated a number of times to learn and to grow and to, to move forward, like, to know and to evolve your consciousness. But, like, like when you, when you talk about subconscious and things like that, I'm not fully sure I fully understand what the subconscious is, like, you know what I mean? It seems like it's 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 a... Suppose if you an operating program that's running in the background of of the computer, like you know what I mean, or the background of the ego, like you know, but to really understand it, I definitely wouldn't know enough about uh, to compare that to say, is that what the soul is? I'm not too sure that that's what the soul is. I've to me intuitively, I wouldn't think they're the same thing, but I genuinely don't know, like you know,
1: yeah. But again, we're we're limited by the language because you're trying uh, to describe experiences using words, yeah. I've heard uh, it said that people who are fluent in, was it if people are fluent in two languages have two souls. There's there's something to that. Like you know, if you, if you if you I don't know. I'd say you're fucking like my uh, little baby brother's uh, Mrs. Julie. She's American, but she's from um, Peru originally, so she speaks Peruvian. Peruvian right. like, yeah, or Spanish? Is it Spanish? I think it might yeah. be Spanish. to speak or, remember, where she's uh, from. So, right. but. Um, I can see how she like she, Spanish, she yeah. has a a Spanish side to her. Right. Do you know what kind of way? I yeah, have, yeah. I've, I've seen her speak on the phone to her mum in Spanish. Right. And it's weird because she <laughs> fucking shapeshifts into this thing I'm not... Uh, I, like, I I don't really know her. Do you yeah, know what kind of right. way? She's, yeah. she's very different. So I like that idea mm. that having multiple languages gives you kind yeah. of multiple souls, mm-hmm. um, which is an interesting one because I believe people with split personality disorders have like while they're being different people they have whilst all whilst all the time remaining themselves obviously but because of some sort of a split in their psyche and of multiple personalities, each individual personality might have a, a different uh, eye prescription. Mm,
0: you know, it's, it's mad. Yeah, I've definitely heard things like that. It's mad, isn't it? Like, even, you know, to the point where some will wear glasses, some won't wear glasses. And yes. I'm some a- will have moles. Some will have moles and others won't have moles. Like, things to actually, their body... They, Jeez, they actually man- very wrong, like, I very... Now, that could be something I was <laughs> listening to when I was at high or something. That was an Onion article, wasn't there it? Was, no, no, there was definitely... those. I can't remember what it was, but definitely along the lines of people who wear glasses, people who have stutters and yeah, they don't yeah. have stutters. Definitely kind of things like that. Maybe the old one might be wrong, but definitely the, the other side of it where, you know, stutters and people who wear glasses or, you know, different things like that. So, yeah, you'd have to wonder what that is, wouldn't you? Like, how would you need glasses... Yeah, it just, it, I think what that would always lead me to is the actual power of the mind. Well, th- that's the only reason yeah, I brought it up. It's yeah, just no, it's just sure. a show. Like. Yeah, the power of the mind, for sure. And like what a lot of the shamans and things like that would say is all there is is mind. The only thing that exists is mind. Like any the illnesses and the sicknesses and stuff like that that we're dealing with in life be it kind of depressions and anxieties and all of that, they're all just sicknesses of the mind that are manifesting themselves through cancers and through different things like that. Like and that's how the shamans would talk about it is it's all about healing your mind. All about healing your mind, like, you know, and you know, I can give you a very good example of that. Like one of my friends um over in Australia, Gary Morelton, he's been diagnosed with stage four cancer. So he was diagnosed with the cancer or whatever in I'm nearly sure it was around March time. Every March time, sorry to cut across you, but just
1: to get across the seriousness, my understanding of the stages of cancer is there a stage five of any cancer? I don't know, stage four, four and then you're 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 more or less told you're you're pretty much terminal at stage four.
0: You've got stage four, and then I think it's terminal or whatever, you know. But like he's worked with you know different so when he got kind of told about that, the, the doctors more or less keep saying to him, Look, you know, this isn't going to end well, more or less, like you know, and he has been put on a programme with this kind of new tablet and the new tablet was supposed to prolong his life. It wasn't supposed to heal the cancer. It's more of a kind of a, gives you an extra, maybe two or three years on top of what they say might be kind of two years or whatever, do you know what I mean? But he's worked with a guy who's, um, who has, more or less kind of heat now not, you'll obviously you couldn't heal yourself if it's three times but he's kept his cancer at bay through different forms of meditation through different kind of things like that but it's all about getting your mind into that right place like you know and like I've heard you know Stanislav Groff is a guy who he's done like he literally has thousands of tests where it was very similar things where it's all about getting your mind into that right frame of mind And that can be as healing as anything else, any medication you're taking or any, you know, any other thing that you're trying to do, like, you know. But since Morel has got this thing in, as I said, I think it was around March, we're now in August, he has started working with his cancer coach. And as I said, it's all about getting your positive mind, getting all that mind frame going and stuff. And he, his cancer has gone out of the bones, completely out of the lungs. And if... If the X-rays at the foresay, for instance, the cancer was a golf ball size, it's now down to a pea size, and I think he's going to be in remission by November. Holy fuck! And he is. There's four other people that are that were diagnosed with the same thing as he was, all put in the same clinical trials, but have not worked with this guy that Morell is working with now. Morell has gone and done everything, so he's no meat, no dairy, like he's. Re- He's, he's gone full out, vegan and full, full carnivore, full everything, like you know. And them people, I think two of them have more or less been told that they need to go for chemo, and the third one has been told that they've there's no chance of survival or whatever. So the difference between him and them, and I'm sure it's not the only difference. It's not just to say that this is the only difference, but he's been working with this guy who's been helping him work with his mind, really, like you know. But it it certainly, you know, would help you to believe in what the Shams are saying that if you can heal your mind, you can heal any disease that's in your body, like you know.
1: No, without a doubt, I'm I'm a huge fan of a guy called mm. Gabor Mate, I'm sure you're yeah, familiar with him. And yeah, his whole shtick is yeah. that pretty much with the with the rare exception of a few kind of genetic disorders, that all ill health, including pretty much all diseases, is a direct um response to your mentality basically yeah. essentially yeah. yeah. He, he'll go one step further and say it's down to uh, trauma that was experienced as a child that hasn't been dealt with and it's re- repressed trauma yeah. essentially we're all living with PTSD and because of that we're making ourselves yeah, sicker sick. and sicker and sicker basically and I suppose the beauty of what psychedelics can do is I don't know do, do they they give you or at least they can given the right amount and the right set and setting they can give you just a, a reset just a complete overhaul of everything they they kind of, they kind of shake your your foundational presuppositions mm-hmm. in a way like like i would have thought at one stage that there was the scientific world and there was you know mysticism that tried to do what it could to explain what the scientific world couldn't basically mm-hmm. and that was basically it but having had the psychedelic experience or the spiritual experience Due to psychedelics, whatever way you want to frame it, I had to re-examine everything because that whole that that idea that that illusion that I was under that there is the materialistic world and there isn't a whole pile else, like that was just completely shattered. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. totally, and utterly yeah. shattered. And the the amazing thing to me is that it reliably <laughs> shatters people's, yeah. you know, preconceived yeah. notions or perceptions. And forces you to either a go, oh, that was just you know something I don't really want to examine, or b you know it starts you off in a path of perpetual re-examination of yourself. Yeah, not I, sure. so I remember
0: the I remember the time or when you'd done the higher dose, and I remember you ringing me straight after, <laughs> and the first line out your mouth was, "I need to reread everything." And I remember <laughs> I remember I thought, "I was wet myself on the chair." But it is exactly that. It 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 takes it takes a hammer to all them ideas and it literally shatters them. And I would always, you know, when you hear kind of, you know, sci- like for me, science, what science should be is an exploration of the outer world. And what religion should be is an exploration of the inner world. And they should both be married together. And I think that's what you were talking about earlier on. You know, you were saying you'd like to see a... Um, a, unified a unified theory of theory. religions, yeah. But I think it should be a unified theory of both. I think, you know, I think science and spirituality should go hand in hand. And as I said, one should be, one should be, you know, looking to see what the outside world has to offer us. And the other should be looking for the inside world, you
1: know. There's a term, I can't remember the, the guy you coined it, but um this idea of non-overlapping magisteria. The idea that religion... And everything that's underneath that is on one side, and then science is on the other side. That the, they're two separate realms; they don't overlap at all. Do you? Right. Do you? Now, that's not to say that one is good and one is yeah, bad, or yeah, you can yeah. do without. You can yeah. do it one, you can't do it at the yeah. other. I, I'm a firm believer that you certainly need both. I'm just curious as to how much overlap do you think that there. Are?
0: Yeah, it or shouldn't be like or I don't could be think, or yeah. Be. I don't think it should be a case of, you know, a complete overlap. Like mm. but there definitely should be. Like when you when you listen to people like Rupert Sheldrick and people like that who are you know, have a foot in both worlds. even like even Gabor Mate. Like Gabor Mate is one of the leading child psychologist experts in the world. But he also is a massive proponent for ayahuasca. Oh, like, 100%, do you know what I mean? absolutely. Like, and I'm psychedelics? Not, and, and
1: you don't know that because you overheard a story down the back alley. Like uh, that's no, no, front no, and yeah, center gross. of his Yeah, and his even thing. Jordan
0: Pearson, you know, like Jordan Pearson and, you know, even Sam Harris to an extent as well. Like they both they both talk science, but they also understand, you know, well, maybe not so with Sam Harris, but with Jordan Peterson, that there's certainly these, you know, other realms of consciousness or whatever, whatever, it, whatever you, the word is you want to use for it. So I think, you know, we should they should definitely overlap and should be. It should be minimal, like, do you know what I mean? It shouldn't be that they're both in on top of each other, but they should definitely work as a field together. They they shouldn't be polar opposites fighting against each other. They should be trying to work towards a common goal in a way. Do you know what I mean? To, get, to as you said, to get a unified theory of everything. And you can't, you can't, like, when I find people, like the likes of maybe, say, Richard Dawkins and people like that, and they're saying that there's no place for the psychedelic experience. It's just the product of the mind and the chemicals of the mind or whatever. The, the thing that I'm just screaming out is is that you're 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 basing you're trying to base reality on half a picture. Do you know what I mean? Like, you're, if you're just saying to me that all there is is the material realm and nothing else exists outside of that, if you haven't had that psychedelic experience, or if you haven't done it through meditation, if you haven't done, it, if you haven't had that outer body or you know outer consciousness experience, your are viewing reality would half a picture. And you're trying to say this is what reality is, and there's nothing else, but hold on a minute, there's a whole other picture over here that you're you're not adding into that equation mm. like so i don't i don't I don't really feel that you can you can really understand reality till you've had a transcendent experience or a mystical experience because when you have this experience it's such it's such as you say it just cracks open your head nearly more or less isn't it like it's just like oh, right everything I read and heard I now need to look at with fresh eyes and with a different understanding and it gives you that chance it gives you the chance to do that Like, and I think again that's where the healing is happening within it like you know like it's the healing happens when you see something other than this realm like this material realm that not all scientists, obviously, because we can name the likes of Rupert Sheldrake and Gavin and people like that. Like, but the majority of science seems to push that material narrative, doesn't it? That material materialistic narrative, doesn't it? Like that. Well, you see, you can, you can write
1: machines. You can write papers on it, though, and mm. you can divide it yeah, and you can multiply it and subtract it. It, yeah. and it has its utility. Yeah. But yeah. I, I'm I'm on I'm on the same page as yourself insofar that I personally like to have a foot in both worlds, mm. and I like listening to people yeah. who
0: have a foot in both worlds. But maybe again, you know, as we were saying earlier, maybe instead of the scientists and the fucking religious zealot coming to these conversations with their dogmas and their biases, you need that you need to be willing to listen to that other side. They've already made their... They're convinced that they're right. And that's why we're not getting anywhere with the conversation. It just becomes a clash of two egos who are trying to, you know, who's trying to prove the other wrong. And that's not conversation. That's not what we need. We need deep conversation with open-minded people like
1: oh without without a doubt absolutely i I don't think my having taken psychedelics and had the experiences that i've had and and will continue to have i don't think that discredits me in any way shape or form i mean nothing that i say or even that you say Mm. have said generally or certainly in this podcast is anti-science or definitely not yeah it might be unscientific but that's Mm. not just because something is unscientific doesn't mean that it's false or illogical yeah. or yeah. not rational. I mean, people have been using these substances across all cultures, across as far back as we can look.
0: Well, for longer than we haven't. We've been using these plant medicines for longer than we haven't. Oh, well, uh, when you say happened, as in, like like in recently... Happen, like as in up until recently, you know, when when you look across even... The you know the hunter gatherer tribes when you look back to even the Mayans all of them the Incas different things they've all had their sacraments it's only within since what the, the you know the fifties and sixties where there's been a real pushback against these medicines and they've been you know well. And you can go even further back with that, like since you know the Inquisitions and different things like that like they they burnt all these people at the stake and said they were they were witches so i guess I guess what i 'm trying to say is we've it 's only up until them times that these plant medicines have been driven underground because you know we had our pagans we had our druids we 've had all of them up until that time we were they were all using these plant medicines to have you know out of body experiences to have transcendent or mystical experiences so what i 'm saying is is were less time not using them and there's a renaissance again happening which is good and it'll be interesting to see where it takes the world you know Oh
1: no very much so and I think the, the renaissance in psychedelics is part of a, a broader renaissance of like what you mentioned mm. there earlier on kind of getting back to getting back to basics like this idea of trying to spend as something that I've taken on board pretty seriously in the last month or two is uh, spending as much time in my bare feet as I can. Yeah, and it's it's funny. So I've been working. I've have about a forty hour work week down here since the restaurants opened back up, and for ninety five percent of that, I'm just walking around in my socks. But it's made me aware to the fact that it's great to be walking in in essentially your bare feet. You're not using the. You're not stomping around on your heels like mm. you do when you've got shoes or runners on. So you stop doing that so you, you tend to walk on your toes a little bit more but it improves your entire posture basically right. and it makes you more aware of the fact that you spend probably 99% of your life on completely flat surfaces right. and that's not good for your, your health <laughs> yeah. generally, your mind yeah. or your body. Um,
0: but there's the idea also that you're, you're again connecting to the earth, aren't you? Oh absolutely, yeah, yeah, no, 100% like yeah. Right now, you know, we both have runners on like, but the, that rubber between our soul and the ground you know, it is a barrier between us and the earth and, and nature. yeah, It's it's dehumanizing, mm. I think. Yeah. I
1: think there's, like, again, these days people frame it poorly, I think. People say that you have to spend time in nature yeah. because you'll get a load of benefits from it. That's that's generally what's sold to people. Get out in nature and you'll be the better for it. But I think that's kind of wrong-headed because I personally think that being away from nature dehumanizes you. Yeah. So you, you should be, as a default, at, you should be by default part of nature i remember seeing the
0: part of nature isn't that the thing though we oh, doubt, but we, we, yeah. we we seem to have lost that idea we seem yeah, to have
1: elevated ourselves above nature yeah. we tend to look down on yeah. on animals We're trying and to control plants. nature isn't it like very much so yeah you know, and i wonder says the
0: man running a vertical farm <laughs> oh yeah 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 but like you know i wonder how we suffer suffering a hangover from um you know this the survival of the fittest kind of theory like you know from from um what's his name Oh, so you know him, the scientist. Survival of Darwin. Darwin's theory of well, evolution he, and stuff like that. Like yeah. Where, yeah. you know, that whole thing of, the, you know, it's the survival of the fittest. Like, but we've. Well, that
1: wasn't his shtick per se. was, it was not, right? No. It, um, right. That was kind of co opted. Right. Was, people kind of ran with that idea. Yeah, I don't think he yeah. ever said survival of the fittest. Right. It was um, basically those best willing to adapt would be those that survived. Yeah, yeah. Um, but
0: well, there, we there's seem an element. to be running. We seem to be running on the theme of a survival of the fittest, like you know. Oh, absolutely, and yeah. We've we've treated nature like that too, like where we think we can control it and we can use it as if. And I wonder is that coming from materialistic science again? That everything is just dead matter and it's there for our benefit. And if it's not our benefit, let's chop it down and set fire to it, like kind of thing, you know, and are we, you know, has that way of thinking because it's, it's, you know, it's, it's in our economics, it's in, you know, a large part of the way we're all living our life, like, you know, and I wonder, is that where there's so much suffering coming from in the world as well? You know, I wonder if we had more of a, you know, the way maybe like the pagans looked at the world, or the way the druids looked at the world, that this idea of a mother Gaia, that the planet is a conscious entity of its own, and it's there as our mother, and it's there as our, you know, to to provide these things for us, but not for us to control. You know,
1: no, without, without a doubt, and you're you're touching on the premise of the whole off the lead mm. thing, like you know, this idea that we've we've become domesticated, we've become fed by the food producers, as opposed to you know. I'm not expecting everybody to start growing all their yeah. own food, but there's a... If you're eating in... If you're eating out of plastic bags your entire life, you don't have to start growing all your own food in your backyard. And there's a midpoint between, yeah. you know, living... A life of solitude and eating roots and berries that you find that have fallen mm. on the ground there's a, there's a midpoint between that and everything that you eat having been wrapped in plastic or being extruded through a pipe yeah. Do you know what kind of yeah. way so less of one and more of the other yeah. is, is all i'm looking for but yeah. it's it's a weird one though because we've grown up as as part of nature say so i'm uh into me bird watching and me buzzard watching more to the point point. Because I have a couple of buzzards that live around the house and I have a telescope and I keep an eye on them. And it's just my little, one of my little things. Mm. Like, and I love it. And I think it's great to live in the countryside where we so much nature. I've got rabbits in the field and I've got the the buzzards that to be hunting the rabbits and it's class. And I think it's brilliant and I think I'm part of nature. But if I was alive 50 years ago, it would have been the buzzard and the goshawk and the... Yeah harrier or hen or whatever the fuck other things were around right and i would have thought that was brilliant but my kid's gonna grow up now thinking having rabbits in the field or class yeah and yeah. then he's gonna grow, his kid's gonna grow up thinking that it's class that he saw a rabbit once <laughs> do you know what kind of way And yeah. without with every with every uh generation your connected your your baseline connectedness to nature drops a peg or two yeah it diminishes but know? i guess
0: you know and that's where I feel like I'm always listening to people saying, oh, we need you need the government to tell you this or you need somebody to do this to direct you in your life. I find and what I find best for me is, is you need to take that responsibility yourself. Like exactly as you said, you need to teach your kids a different way. And, you know, the other big thing I always hear people say is "Oh, the school aren't teaching them this or they're not teaching them that or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Why aren't you teaching it to them? Like, do you know what I mean? The school is there to teach them an education, but you should be the one who's given them the life skills that they need, you know, by hopefully bringing them back out into nature or or sourcing their own foods or different things like that. Like, you know, that should be... And the beauty about that is if you're not that way inclined, by you, you know, learning, by you doing that with your kids, you're learning as much as they're learning and you're learning how to provide for yourself and look after yourselves. Like, we're definitely, you know, as you've said with the name of the podcast and that, like, we're definitely, you know... In real danger of becoming a real muttered species aren 't we like oh, you know, that we start. need Incredible. we need the government to tell us how fast to drive our cars, we need the government to tell us how much drink we can drink we need the government to tell and i 'm not saying there shouldn 't be rules and not that 's not what i 'm kind of alluding to like, but we we definitely need to start taking more personal responsibility for ourselves and not always be looking to other people to you know to make up the rules for us. Do you know what I mean? No, no, absolutely. You know, 100%. And I think, again, bringing
1: it back to the psychedelic experience, I think it, it sets you up to view just, I suppose, the craziness because when yeah. you grow up in something, it, it becomes normal. Yeah. Do you know that kind of way? If you're, if you're raised on eight hours of TV a day, then you bring up then hopefully you'll bring your up your kids not to watch as much, so they'll only watch seven hours. And you think you'll think that that's in some way a fucking improvement, <laughs> like <laughs> exactly like yeah, so in that kind of way, yeah. But psychedelics, for, for some reason unknown or otherwise, I don't know. They just they they tend to give you just a different perspective. They just yeah. they, they seem to bring our mindset back, bring it back. To a point where, by watching it hours of telly, is fucking mental. i not
0: good yeah. Yeah. you know. No yeah. matter,
1: and again, no matter what you're watching, like, or yeah. whether it's your your phone that you're or addicted to, or, or your tablet, yeah. or your music, or your yeah. coffee, or yeah. whatever it is, and their life is set up these days to be so convenient. And getting back to getting another thing you said earlier, this idea that um, so this idea of survival of the fitness, we of the fittest, we seem to live in a society whereby if you make it in the current paradigm or the current zeitgeist, of the, the the status quo, or whatever. If you make it, you know, fair play to you. You took advantage of all the things that were on offer to you. But if you don't make it and you're crushed by fucking poverty or socio-economic background or whatever it is, then you know,
0: tough luck. Tough luck, basically, <laughs> like yeah. yeah, tough luck. Is yeah. Right. But I, you know, I love the idea of you know, you are your own savior. Do you know what I mean? You're your you're your own savior. It's it, you know. I I do also get like you know that a lot of that comes from you know you're a product for your environment and all of that kind of stuff like but there is ways out of that like and there is and it's all it doesn't have to be massive you know changes that you make to your life like but they just need to be the important changes and you need to you know start to look after yourself first like you know what I mean and then it is hopefully something that you can teach on to your kids and different things like that you know a a different way to live and you know to get back out into nature and to maybe start growing your own things they're very easy things to learn and it's only it's only by you know each one of us taking responsibility for ourselves that you will kind of change that thing in the world like you know it's like you know I I love one of the sayings from Gandhi like you know you be the change you want to see in the world there's no point in sitting there you know giving out about things if you're not willing to do the things to change it you know and change them first within yourself and it's only by changing them within yourself first and I think that's what the psychedelic does as well it shows you that it, as soon as you heal yourself you can begin to help others too many people are scarred and are are in a bad place themselves and again maybe as Carl Jung says they're projecting out they're trying to heal the world and they're trying to save the world but I'm not so sure you can do that from a place where you're for want of a better word broken yourself I think you have to heal yourself first. You have to take that responsibility. And, you know, there's some of the great things Jordan Peterson has, you know, definitely been teaching the world, isn't it? Like the whole, you know, clean your room. That's where it starts. Get your shit together. Get your shit together. And by getting your shit together, it's this as you've all, uh, you know, I love how you've talked over various podcasts about the incremental steps. Start with cleaning your room. Clean your room first, then clean your house and then go out and see what you can improve in the world. Like, you know... Oh, without
1: a doubt. I think... Or, uh, Hitchens. uh, I think Peterson gets a lot of shtick over that idea that, you know... He says, don't go out and criticise the world. Go home and tidy up your room. Yeah. But what people are missing there is what he's he's saying is, before you go out and criticise the world, tidy up your room, get your shit together have a good foundation under yourself under your thoughts under under everything have a good understanding of religion and science and everything else and be be fit to take on the world before you take on the world because if you try and take on the world from a, a position of standing on shaky ground or if you're not entirely sure of why you think certain things or if you're clinging on to an ideology or you're more ego than self or whatever way you want to phrase it you're not in a position that you can take on the world, yeah. all right. But I mean, you're not going to. Well. But see, that's yeah. the thing. Like you just end up yeah. banging your head against a brick wall because it's too big, it's too complex, yeah. and you're too small yeah. and too insignificant. Especially when you're not
0: on On phone. shaky ground, you, yeah. or when you're on shaky no, ground, exactly. Sure. Like yeah, I know,
1: definitely. Um, you said something there that reminded me of something about uh something Gabor Matty, I think. Speaks of what's his stick? So his stick is addiction and. Losing connection with yourself. No, I've lost, it. it'll it come back to me. Um in relation to making changes in the wider world and doing the work on yourself, sorry, I brought myself back into the room. Here we go. <laughs> um I've heard Matt asked a couple of times because he's a, a world famous, world renowned, highly regarded child psychologist, he is often asked, you know, by parents what can they do to not mess their kids up either any more than they already have or <laughs> that they might yeah, do in yeah. the future. And his his advice, I love it. It's um, you want to do right by your kids, do right by yourself. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, that's it. Improve Investigate yourself. your own yeah. mind. Yeah. Stop
1: ruminating mm. over whatever it is. Get rid of the fucking sugar addiction. If you're sculling 10 cans yeah. of Coke a day, if you're on Facebook every 15 seconds or, or whatever it is, yeah. get your own life in order because that's the gift that you can give to your kids because irrespective of what you tell your kids your kids are going to absorb what you do, a monkey not monkey what you, do Oh, monkey suit monkey do oh 100% like you and can, that's exactly you can tell is. them what yeah, you should be doing all you fucking mm-hmm. want yeah, yeah. but all that does is confuse them Yeah, yeah. because they they get
0: and then you fuck them up <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah you know yeah, no,
1: sure. d- don't do this don't do that yeah. and don't do the other as you do, do all it. three yeah. and enjoy it you know with a smile <laughs> on your face like. <laughs> But yeah. um, but there's something to that that the, the internal work has to be done before any real kind of progression is made. You mentioned earlier as well about this idea of of changing your of changing your thoughts and letting go of of ideas. You've introduced me to a lot of new ideas, and it's it's hard to let go. Like I find, like I've given up. I was about to say I've found it hard giving up smoking. I'm off the fags fucking seven years or something. But I I can see how I could get addicted. Like that, like, do you know what I mean? Straight away, Did you
0: started again. Not even,
1: I, well, you'd you'd have mm. to start again. But you you think I'd be free of it, but I'm not. Like, I mean, the the part of me that loves to skull pints and smoke fags yeah, yeah. is very much still alive yeah, inside yeah. me. Do you know like I know mean? So it's it's hard. To, I, I've been trying to let it yeah, go, and yeah. I've been, do you know, I've tried <laughs> yeah. not, I've tried not to fuel it. Yeah. I remember seeing something. I think it was in the wall of your gaff, actually Actually, could have been the 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 wolf.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. And
1: it's which one inside every? Day?
0: Well, it's a it's an old um, it's an old Indian proverb, and it's a Native American Indian. He's talking to his child, and he's saying to the child that inside every man there's two wolves fighting. One is anger, greed, sorrow, resentful, all all what we call negative things. The other is you know he's happy, he's peaceful, he's you know he's balanced or whatever. And a young child turns around to the grandfather and he says, you know which or well, which wolf wins? And the the Indian replies, the one you feed. So if you want to feed the negative side, if you want to feed that wolf, like you're going to come out with negative consequences. If you want to feed the positive side, that's what you're going to get. Like you know. So the one that wins is the one you feed.
1: No, absolutely, and I think that that's perfect for a, another perfect analogy for the what we were talking about on the outset about ideas. So. The ones that the ones that survive, whether they be good or bad, they're the ones that you've given the most attention. to. Yeah. And as I grew up, I didn't have I didn't have science as a kid because you don't really have you don't know what science is. Science is something you do in secondary school. you yeah. like, know I, So all I had was was religion, and for me personally, I never bought into it for a second, even as a small child. I just there was just it just gave too many questions. It, yeah. it answered nothing and threw up yeah. a whole load of questions, and I never really bought it. So I somehow came up staunchly atheistic, then was introduced to science, that was fucking fantastic went down a mad science rabbit hole and that was great then met um, the four the usual suspects, Dawkins, Dennett, Harris and Hitchens, the so called four horsemen of the anti-apocalypse big major, well known the new atheists they were called they all had New York Times uh, best selling anti-religion books eh? and they were brilliant because they were able to articulate with a scientific background mm. everything that I knew was kind of bullshit from day one. And that was great. And then fast forward a fucking decade later and I bump into yourself and you introduce me to psychedelics and all the rest of it. The one thing that I was never... The one thing that I was always squirrely on with my atheism was like I could explain everything off in a scientific manner. The one thing that I couldn't was that it was... um in every culture, in every part of the world. Yeah. like So people separated by hundreds of thousands of miles of either ocean or mountain ranges or both, they mightn't have had the same gods, but they had very similar gods. Yeah. And I could never reconcile that. And then fast forward to the psychedelic experiences that, that you uh, led me towards. And I've had to re-listen to everything that... Um, those atheist kind of guys yeah. had said before, and it was great. That, that that was a real learning experience. I've done a lot of that in the last year or two, and a couple of times I hear them, even Hitchens, who I fucking still idolise, <laughs> uh, he'll say he'll say things like, "Oh, but these are just myths." Yeah, and having had psychedelic experiences and having gone down the uh, the rabbit hole of mythology, basically, in no small part thanks to. Like Joseph Campbell, and Alan Watts, and, and Young, and etc. To just pass that all off as just myths, it just seems so stupid. Coming yeah. from a guy who's such so a. intelligent. So intelligent, <laughs> mm. such a, a. Just such a master. Do you know what I Which, yeah, it's just. It, it, it's fascinating. It's fascinating to me how close minded I would have been. And simultaneously, considered myself very open minded. Yeah. What what kind of pushback do you think? What pushback do you get? I get very little, but then again, and you're probably the
0: same because we're probably in our own little echo chambers a little. Yeah, you probably would be like, but yeah, I would get to be honest, get very little. To be honest. I just, most people would be more interested in the story that I'm telling and you know I'm not saying that they all walk away believing every word that came out of my mouth or whatever and well you experiencing know, is believing that's uh, what I feel. yeah find. exactly <laughs> that. yeah, no, that's that's the big thing and I've you know there's been so many people that have uh, you know as I said before on the last podcast would have kind of you know had to this fucking hippie cunt like you know <laughs> what I mean and then had the experience and you know full blown hippies themselves in, you know two or three months down the line yeah yeah yeah, like it's like, there's not too much, there's not too much pushback because the thing about it is now is that we're moving so far on and so advanced with the science along with it. It's not just people coming out of Peru talking about how they found God and the ball of an ayahuasca. Come. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. The science is now, and although science doesn't describe it as in God, it it doesn't at all. But I always, I always get a good laugh out of when you're listening to scientists Try and have the conversation, and the words that they're trying to use to not say "spirit" or to say like, <laughs> and it's like so or... clunky. Like it's just like, they just say the word. Like it's all right. Like it's yeah. it's spirit. Like you you it's you're not gonna you know. But then I suppose it's because of their work, and I'm sure there's still some you know biases and hurdles there that need to be gotten over. Like to you know, but I've not really had much of a pushback on it really at all. Like to you know, like people are always interested in the story and listen it's probably less and less I probably tell that story about Peru now anyway do you know of course. but you know as I said more and more the science is now backing up what you know these experiences that people are having and whether you want to call it spirit or your subconscious or whatever it is the results are the same for everybody there's a massive healing happening through them there's a massive reconnection to nature and you know all of them things even if you walk out of there and you still don't believe in God or don't believe in spirit there's still a massive healing so it, that outcome isn't doesn't really matter. As long as the healing is happening and people are benefiting from it, and people are beginning to examine their own lives and their own way of living, well, then it can only be positive. Like you know, so I you know, there's not too many people that you talked to now that wouldn't. I suppose maybe the older generations who maybe you know aren't online as much as you know as we would be or would have, you know, information to the likes of the John Hopkins studies and the likes of what MAPS are doing and different kinds of organisations like that. I'm sure they probably are still, you know, living in that kind of dogmatic view from 60s America or 60s the world view like that, you know, psychedelics are bad and they mess with you. And that is true if you don't give them the respect that they deserve. If you go in there, you know... Any, any of the bad experiences that seem to happen with psychedelics are done in an environment where, where people are drinking and other drugs are being taken. And if you're to believe what the shamans are saying, and what I feel I've 100% experienced, that you are going to the spirit world. If you are drinking and at a house party where there's loads of music happening and, you know, everything's a bit bananas anyway, and you, you know, you take one of these psychedelics you certainly are going to have a bad experience, aren't you? So to say that there's no bad experiences, you know, it wouldn't be... I wouldn't be honest if I say that, but they usually tend to revolve around either that scenario or a scenario where somebody may have underlying issues of psychosis or, you know, different breaks within their mind and things like that. They are examples of times where it can go wrong. And I think, you know, with a lot of these tests and stuff that have been done through the scientific avenue, they're very stringent on their testing and they're kind of, you know, making sure that nobody has any of that in their background or family background or things like that, you know. But, yeah, so, which I, you know, it it kind of is important, but again, are we in danger of you know I listen to the scientists and 100% I'm the first one to advocate safety and to do these in a ritual and a ceremonial setting like you know I, I genuinely believe that that's how they should be done and that's how you'll gain the best benefit from them but I sometimes feel when you're listening to the scientists, it's nearly like a modern of it again, like, you know, well, there's only a certain type of person that should be doing it and we should be bringing them into a lab and doing it in a, you know, in kind of that kind of control setting and things like that. But literally for thousands of years, we've done them where a shaman and his tribe have taken these sacraments together and had transcendent experiences. And I don't. I would be much more in line with that way. That's how I believe they should be done, and that's how I believe they should be conducted. Like you know.
1: Oh look, I, I'm 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 complete agreement with you there, and I think uh, any of the problems with psychedelics, like you mentioned there, <clears throat> taking them in the wrong type of setting, taking them in a house party or whatever else. yeah or Maybe taking far more than you thought you were taking, or, or any of these things. I've made those. Like
0: Paul Stamets taking 20, 20 grams yeah. the first time and ending up with three in a lightning storm. Yeah, and that's for an alcohol. Cure the stutter. Though, yeah, didn't yeah, yeah, it? well. Hell. Yeah, I don't know if I'd be prescribing that to everybody who's trying to cure a stutter. No, and, ju- and just to fill people in on that, uh, five grams is
1: considered to be what's called a heroic dose. Five grams of dried psilocybin yeah. mushrooms will laugh. give you an experience. Yeah, for sure. There's no you won't be left wondering whether or not you've been given a placebo or not. <laughs> yeah. You'll get
0: the full-blown experience. So what was it, 20 grams? 20 grams on his first time, by complete accident, in fairness now. But, you know, that just shows you, by not doing the right research and the right understanding of it, where it can go wrong. Well, the you know big, I mean? a big part of the problem is the fact that they're illegal. Oh, for sure, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it's
1: funny because... I kind of copped you doing it and it reminded me of how I've done it explaining how a, a trip can go wrong at a house party or whatever else but you'd never hear a doctor saying you know don't take this entire packet of um, laxatives when you don't have constipation <laughs> yeah, yeah. because you know if you do you're yeah. going to have a bad trip, yeah, yeah, so you're yeah, like yeah. no fucking shit you're going to have a bad trip. <laughs> you're taking x amount of dry grams of mushrooms in a setting whereby yeah. you know you don't have you don't know where you are. You don't know, you know, how you're going to get home. You don't know everybody in the building. Blah blah yeah. blah. So if if they were legal, I suppose, what would you? Uh, that's actually a good question. I think is it if they were legal, what changes would you make, or would you make, or what would what would the warning symbol be, or what would the warnings on it be? Do you think if it was legal?
0: Um. Well, I get you know it's it's like everything. Like the best way to educate these people. These, the best way to educate people on these kind of things is when they're at their youngest. Instead of bringing kids into school and saying to them, you know, I feel, you know, with the whole kind of, you know, drugs are a bad thing. Like, if I'm honest, uh, you know, you go into school, you're told drugs are bad, you shouldn't do them, they lead to depression, they lead to anxiety, blah blah blah. You go out and you take drugs, and that does not happen the first time. I can, yeah, what they mean. Like You yeah. go out and you take ease in a club or you take whatever and you have hands down the greatest night of your life like you you have a brilliant night it's an incredible experience or whatever like you know so you're then left when you come down wondering well hold on a minute sure they told me this was all wrong and bad and all of that kind of thing and Mm. it wasn't anything at all so you know what's What's all the line for? What we need to do is educate people at a younger age and say, you know, these are the effects of these drugs. This is what this drug does. And this is what that drug drugs. And all we can really do is educate people. And, you know, as you said, if they are legalized, you know, we have to explain to people, you know, the, well, not we like, but, you know, as in society has to show people that these are the responsible ways. And these are some of the better ways to do it. And you're best going with people who've got experiences. In doing them before, like, you know, and I think that's what you do. You need to educate people as into the to the best ways. And we, you know, we explain to them, well, look, these are how these tribes do it. And there's, you know, that's one thing, as you spoke about religion and all that. We've lost all our rituals. You know, we don't have rituals anymore. But these hunter-gatherers, this is always a ritual you know ceremony that they're doing like and that is the best way to understand the divine and to come to these experiences and you know when you're doing it in that ritualistic thing there's you you know what you're getting involved in you know what I mean you know that you're going there to you know experience maybe a different reality or a different you know well certainly a different form of consciousness than your ordinary day form of consciousness and by going and doing it in that ceremony, so you automatically, I think, are bringing a certain amount of respect towards it, like to you know. But it's only through education that we can, you know, help people to understand that, like, and help, you know. I don't. I'm not so sure what you can put on a warning box, but it it has to be educating kids in school and educating them properly on the right and wrong drugs. But all we can do is educate people, and again, then it's up to you to take your personal responsibility. You can either take heed of what the experienced people and the shamans and all of these are telling you or you don't and you go off and you take 20 grams for your first time and, yeah, and make yes, a mess of things. I but exactly that. But all we can do, we can't tell people how to live their lives and we can't tell people this is what's right for you because what's right for you might not be right for me. All we can say is these are the experiences that people have had and these are how you have, these are how people the majority of the time have good experiences on them, and I guess it's up to you then. After that, really, isn't it? If you kind of go with that way, or you go your own way, and you know, maybe not have such a good experience, you know. Oh,
1: without oh, a doubt, and I'm just thinking out loud there um, on the back of what you were just saying. The idea of setting setting if if that was all that was taught in schools, you'd have a much better you'd have a, a sort a sort of healthier attitude towards drug taking. Yeah. So you don't have to tell you don't have to teach people of the actual effects of each and every drug and how they could affect you because drugs affect different people different ways for a start or nothing else. But if you just explain to them the idea of set and setting, you know, coffee is perfectly fine. It's a uh, you know doesn't really do you any harm in my mo- like anything else in moderation. It's you know perfectly good drug to consume yeah. don't drink four cups of it before you go to bed though <laughs> yeah, yeah. because yeah. you know you're going to have a bad time do <laughs> you know in a way. Yeah. and it's the same with, yeah. with any drug yeah. whether it's psychedelics or yeah. sugar well, or even caffeine do you know what I mean? even like, heroin take
0: heroin as an example you can explain to somebody and like you'd want to be living under a rock at this stage to not know the negative effects of heroin but people still take it like, there's nothing you can do to mitigate for that. Like, you can't... Do you know what I mean? It's illegal, but people are still taking it or whatever. Like, if somebody wants to do something, this idea... And again, it kind of goes back to that, you know, that whole nanny state kind of a thing. Like yeah, where, very much so. You know, these drugs are illegal and I can tell you what's right and wrong for you. Well, I can't, like... Do you know what I mean? That's not what I'm here to do. Like, I can only say what's worked for me and what was right for me. That doesn't necessarily mean that's going to be right or wrong for you. Like, if, if somebody... Knowing, as long as as long as long you know the full consequences of what you're doing, whatever the consequence of taking that drug, or do you know what I mean, it, it, then it's up to you as a as a sovereign person to make that decision for yourself to then either take that drug or not take that drug. Like, you know, the idea that the government or any institutions are telling us that you should or shouldn't be able to do this or that is something I, I you know, I, I can't really wrap my head around. And like, even as you said earlier like these plants are illegal and um your cousin Paul sent me a, a text message the other day and we were just chatting about the trials that were happening in Dublin and he literally just wrote into the message he just says the idea that any species on this planet is illegal he says I don't know what to think about that There's Yeah, a species oh, yeah. like 100%. These but... things are a plant they're a species and we've now made them illegal, like you know. Yeah, I'm an like, grows in yeah, my front lawn. Of course, well, it's illegal. Like, wonder do do, do, you know, does <laughs> the mushroom know it's illegal? Yeah. <laughs> but I yeah, mean, it's, it makes what, no sense.
1: Even the active compound in, in ayahuasca, mm. uh, the methyltryptamine, we yeah. produce it endogenously. It's yeah, in us in all us, yeah. everyone listening to this, yeah. you're, you're you're carrying an illegal yeah. narcotic on you at all times. <laughs> Terence
0: <laughs> says everybody's holding. Everyone's yeah, holding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Like, but you know, the idea that we we've made these things illegal, and look, I do understand that they were made illegal at a time when, you know, people were abusing them and all of that kind of stuff. But to, to completely write them off, we're now getting a much better understanding and a picture. And hopefully with the trials that are happening in Dublin and are happening kind of around the world, that these things, you know, will become available as as a medicine because that's what they are and again i'm f- fully in belief of that that they are a medicine like you know well as
1: you said i think it was the first time uh did you was it yourself that said that the difference between a medicine and a poison is dosage yeah so their are medicines provided they're in the right set and settings yeah, so provided sure. you're in the right mindset and you're in the right physical setting around you and it's the same for laxatives and coffee and yeah. sugar and dimethyltryptamine and yeah. any drug. But maybe. anything.
0: But it's all drugs. Sugar, as you said, sugar, coffee, tea, you know. Music. Cannabis. Even. It's all, it's all, you can, you can, everything like that is really a drug, isn't it? Like to know, Well, my
1: understanding of the, the best description of, of drugs that I've heard is um, anything that you can consume that will alter your consciousness. Yeah. So that could be. Music or cocaine yeah, or yeah. anything in between, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've noticed it myself, um, and I've wondered actually, have I an addiction to music? And I've wondered then, like once you, once you have that kind of a thought, it's like, am I addicted to music? It kind of throws up another thought: like, is there anything wrong with being addicted to yeah. music? But what I found is, I'm very, very, very rarely in silence. I'm either listening to a podcast or I'm listening to music.
0: But maybe what you're addicted to is being brought out of the very present moment. Oh, but without doubt, without that's, doubt, that's the addiction that that's the biggest addiction that the majority of the world are suffering from is, is that we're always so engrossed in the past or what's going to happen in the future. And a lot of times we don't want to sit in that silence and think about the pain and the suffering. So we'll do anything to not have to sit in that silence and not have that monkey mind running at a million miles an hour. So we reach for the radio or we reach for the can of Coke, which is the couple of minutes reprieve from that. Or we, you know, exactly that. And it's just constantly bringing you out of that present moment. Maybe that's what we're all addicted to. Maybe it's the sight, the silence and that's sitting in that silence that we're all trying to so hard to avoid like you know. Oh but without doubt, and that's that's what social media is basically. Yeah, and not, sure.
1: not only do you get rewarded from breaking away from being in the present moment so you, you get that reward, but you also get the reward of oh there's a notification or oh yeah. there's a comment or oh wow, look at yeah. that picture. You know, it's 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 um really kinda low level satiation compounded on top of our deepest yeah. need as a human urges. being and urges yeah. and that like it's yeah
0: and what's your take like on social media and stuff like that like ignore you kind of like myself you use it very infrequently or whatever like but it, it certainly seems to be fueling a lot of the you know ill health in the world doesn't it like to you know
1: I think so yeah I think mm. people I think the online world is a isn't the real world I think the online world is the online world yeah. and I I, I don't I think when it's looked at from a broad enough perspective, or from a if when it's looked at from a distance, I think that it's kind of obviously a less fulfilling, more empty, more vacuous world or existence. And when you're in it, it's it's kind of hard to to yeah. even notice it. But I think when you zoom out, I think I, I think when everybody, when they, whenever they zoom out and look at it kind of objectively, they can see it's a bit of a yeah. bit of a cesspool, of course, yeah. like
0: just. But you, I wonder. You know, the worry I have with it is, are we going to zoom out? Like you don't Elon Musk there the other day talking about, you know, how they're using now this Neuralink thing. <laughs> and it's implanted it in pigs. Okay. You heard you no, like, no, 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 no. It's more or less kind of a link. So it's a device that's put into your brain. And okay. Like I love, the, you know, the packaging behind it. It's going to help, you know, paraplegics and it's going to help people like that. And that's an incredible tool. But we're not going to stop there. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, the internet was supposed to be, oh, sure, look, it's just all the information at your fingertips. Won't it be great? Ah, yeah, but we're also storing all your data, your phone calls, your emails, everything you look up, all of that has been stored. Do you know what I mean? Like, they package, they always package technology as if it's, oh, it's the saviour of the world kind of thing. And then, I will deal with the repercussions like we're now seeing, you know, with, you know, a lot of depression and anxiety amongst young kids and all of that, like, that's, we'll deal with that down the line. But I wonder, like, what's your take on technology, I guess, is what I'm asking, because I would, sometimes I would kind of think to me, like, I love when you hear Rogan talk about how where the sex organs for the machine world and mm. it's kind of going to take over and the birth or the caterpillar is going to turn into this, Butterfly or whatever, like you know. And I'm going to go. I'd be, you know. Sometimes I can kind of think like that, and then other times I'm thinking, "Oh, I'm not so sure." I don't know that. <laughs> when, I, when I'm going to shake this I'm not, not so, so sure. Yeah, like it's. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm not so sure that it is going to be the savior. You know, I'm not. I don't. I don't oh, know. No, it's I the fucking yeah. antichrist closer to the savior. So. Like,
1: yeah. I mean, we're barreling towards. Yeah. the end the quicker abyss. than we've ever done before yeah. like you know Well, it, yeah
0: it's it, that kind of line isn't it like we're either we're in a race to we're in a race to enlightenment or oblivion and it's real shaky. Which one's going to win, isn't it? At the minute.
1: Yeah. Well, look, I, I don't think we can cope with what we have. Yeah. So I think, in yeah. relation to technology progressing at the rate that it's been progressing, I think mm. we should just fucking steady Stop, on, yeah. lads. Yeah. yeah like but, a, but again, I think the only thing that will change there is a change in these in the zeitgeist. Yeah. It's when the general consensus amongst human beings on the planet is, you know, I, and it's funny because everyone on the planet can think. Okay, lads, let's pull back on on the advances. Mm. But if everyone goes out and buys the latest smartphone, yeah, yeah. like yeah, you, you have to be congruent. Mm. So if the people collectively can stop buying into it, yeah, it's 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 this whatever seven odd billion of us are the yeah. fucking. I don't know, I don't actually know how many. Like, it's not the seven billion of us that are buying smartphones. Yeah, but I wonder actually how many billion aren't. And that, whatever amount of people aren't buying smartphones every year, that's going down Yeah. that kind yeah, So yeah. take the 7 billion of us. If we could only get to some sort of broad consensus that, you know, the iPhone 12 is probably all right <laughs> yeah, for yeah. three years. I, I, <laughs> yeah, don't, I don't
0: think it's going to happen
1: though. It, I don't think so either. Not, well, not, 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 like, not immediately, but, it, yeah. but to, to me that there's something in that though. That's the crux of fixing mm-hmm. all our problems. Yeah. It's getting to... The masses, it's getting into it's getting in between the years of every man, woman, and child on the planet.
0: Well, I think it's the chaos that gives us that. So, you know, with the pandemic, we were kind of saying earlier, the world seems like it's a little bit in chaos or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the one thing that you're hearing repeatedly of people is is that I've had that time during them couple of weeks where I sat at home and I reevaluate that, you know, my kids are the most important thing. This idea of doing a 60 hour work week and all of that, it's not working for me and it's not bringing happiness. But if the chaos of the pandemic hadn't have happened, the order wouldn't have ar- arisen out of that. Like, you know, and I suppose the, the way I kind of look at technology is this technology will, like this idea of, you know, what's merging with AI and blah, blah, blah. Mm. I would, maybe it would be my belief that, you know, a cataclysm will stop that before it happens. Because you only have to look back, like as far back as, say, like 1890 and what they call the Carrington event. I'm sure you've oh, heard of that. Car- no. So the Carrington event was... Uh, now, God, I hope I'm right on this. It was a solar flare from the sun. Okay. And what it done was it was a mass ejection from the sun. And in 1819, we were only starting to get our telephone cables and all of that kind of thing. And it literally fried all the telephone cables. An EMP, essentially. An electromagnetic exactly. pulse. Exactly. And that literally happened in 1890. So if we had the exact same size mass solar flare at this, at you know, today, mm. it would literally wipe the grid out. Everything would be gone. And I, you know, I would be a big, you know, believer of the ideas that constantly on this planet, there's different cataclysmic events that kind of push us back and we start again and we rebuild like and it's, you know, in line with the ideas of obviously and influenced by the ideas of the likes of Graham Hancock and Randall Carlson and, you know, people like that that constantly on this planet we were living through a period of order for the last kind of thousand or two thousand years but like it's not always like that like there's constant you know whether it be like even um, in Greenland there they're after finding a massive impact site for a meteor crater which they found actually today around February last year and what they're saying is, is that impact the oldest The oldest that impact crater could be, I think, is in around 2 million years, and the youngest they're kind of saying it could be is in in the last 12,000 years. So, within that window, yeah, yeah, but within that window, we've had a meteor impact. Like, you know, when you think of like a meteor impact on this planet, you tend to go back to you know 65 65 million million years ago, and you and then what the other big thing that I didn't or didn't realize until this one this is only the 26th biggest crater that's ever been found. I was like, well, "Hold on a minute, what? There's been 24 other massive impact craters on this planet. Like, I knew about the one from the dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah. And that was really it. Like, do you know what I mean? I was like, I didn't understand. Like, I didn't know that there was, you know, 26. And I, you know, I would always wonder again if, if a conscious universe is kind of constantly playing this game. As soon as we get to a certain point in a, in a, in our advancement, where things might start to go a bit wrong." is there a reset button that nature pushes? Is there a kind of a, a, a comet impact or is there a volcan- volcanic eruption? And like, even when you think about Yellowstone National Park, like that has a super volcano underneath it and that erupts every, what is it, 500,000 years or something or it's whatever the number is. But we're long overdue that eruption. Mm. And I would always kind of think to myself that, you know, the line of going down technology, it won't, won't ever develop to where it you know destroys the planet or where ai becomes you know the dominant consciousness on the planet because i believe that nature will have reset things long before that gets to happen you know
1: and do you think that that's just because that's what seems to have happened or because you think nature has a hand in kind of what goes on
0: yeah yeah I know what you're saying like is the planet itself I suppose that's a line of thinking that now I'm not saying I buy into that line of thinking but that you know that mother guy that the planet itself is a conscious being and that the whole of the universe is consciousness itself you know that the whole thing is conscious and maybe it has a hand in you know in when certain planets because it would be my belief definitely that there's other planets that are definitely have other life forms on them.
1: It kind of stands to reason, yeah, doesn't it? for it, me I mean. it
0: seems implausible that it there wouldn't be like You know, when you think of the sheer number of planets that we're now even finding within our, you know, whether it be our solar system or galaxy, that are, you know, in the Goldilocks zone, is you know, it seems to reason that there should definitely be life on other planets, doesn't it? Oh, well, yeah. I would mean,
1: like Just to make sure we're not losing too many people on the Goldilocks zone. So if mm. a planet is within, like for a start, we used to think that planets were rare because we couldn't see them. Basically when we looked up at the night sky, now we reckon that pretty much all the stars that you can see at night have a handful of planets yeah. rotating around them in their orbits. So the Goldilocks zone is a planet or uh, yeah, a planet basically that's close enough to this, to its star that it's orbiting that there's liquid water on it, but not so close that it. it just basically boils it so all off. Right. So that's yeah. the Goldilocks zone. But outside of the Goldilocks zone, even in our own solar system, you've got the moons of Jupiter, and one of them, Europa, is a, a, a snowball basically. It's just a big ball of ice. I'm not sure if there is any rock at the centre of it, but it's a it's a ball of ice, and we can actually it actually has what look like volcanoes to us, big geysers of right. ice that's under pressure being released. But the interesting thing about it is that because it it's a moon of Jupiter, and it orbits Jupiter because Jupiter is so massive. It's I don't know a million times bigger than the Earth, or maybe not quite that big, but it's it's colossal, like a yeah. hundred times bigger than Earth. and because its orbit is so close, imagine if you you're holding a tennis ball and you you give it a bit of a squeeze and you let go, and you give it a bit of a squeeze and you let go. That's what happens. The moon as it uh, orbits Jupiter, right. and that 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 squashing and loosening and squashing and loosening heats it up so it has we know we've theorized within reason reasonable certainty that it has oceans right so it's outside of the goldilocks zone Mm. so it's not close enough to its nearest star to have liquid water by from being heated by that star but it can have liquid water through another heating process so whatever about the billions of stars and the hundred billions of planets that are in our own uh galaxy never mind other galaxies in our own back garden, we could have literally whales and yeah, yeah. Like, enormous sea yeah, creatures. Yeah. Yeah. That use either the same DNA as us or a completely different form of DNA. We are completely clueless to what was on beyond this planet. And what we've learned has been just so fucking recent. Like even the dinosaurs been wiped out wiped out by the, the comet. Like everyone kind of takes that for granted now. Everybody knows and it's done and dusted. But I have a dinosaur book at home that I was given by my mom and dad. Like I'm 35, so it wasn't any uh, longer ago than that. And on the inscript, oh no, there's a, a paragraph in it where it speculates how some fringe scientists think that the dinosaurs were wiped out by a massive. Uh, meteor impact and they have a picture of some meteor impact in Arizona or something not the actual yeah, one yeah, yeah. so it's it's only within the last 20 years that we've actually mm. realised that what killed out all the dinosaurs yeah. and everything else during that period was a, a cataclysmic event yeah. and more recent than that we're finding out that this type of cataclysm happens kind of all the time yeah. and uh, there's been what are they known as the great five dyings in earth's history pretty much all life on earth has been more or less eradicated five times right one was a coal deposit got caught on fire basically you just filled the world full of smoke and it just killed 99 percent of life on earth the other one was the comet that killed the the dinosaurs that landed in the Chicxulub crater yeah um and there's a handful of others i think there was a could have been a global warming event, again, this could a nice be age mil- a nice age or two, even. Mm. But these things seem to be far more the norm than the exception. Yeah, yeah. And we're only literally finding out about yeah. them now, so who the fuck knows? Well, if
0: you look, you know, if you look across all of the different cultures and stuff like that, they're, that's what they're constantly talking about. Like, they're constantly talking about, you know, these cataclysmic events and they're, they're re, you know, they're a resetting of the whole kind of thing. Like, you know, and when you even look across you know, whether it be, you know, the Hindus, the Greeks, whether it be the Mayans, the Incas, they all talked about time as in it's a cycle of time. So everything is a, is is a cycle. Like, to know, whether it be, you know, from night to day, you know, the, the year cycle and all that. But they say that, you know, they all, and again, as you spoke about with mythology, all cultures that would have been thousands of miles apart with no real way of contacting each other or sharing this knowledge, apparently, all kind of, you know, having different myths and stories about times of, you know, rises and falls in consciousness. And this is brought about by exactly that, cataclysms. And, you know, to use maybe, to maybe pick one of them and say, because the one I'd probably know the most about would be the Hindu one. And they call that the Yuga cycles. And what they say is is that within the Yuga cycles, there's a 26,000 year cycle that's happening on the planet. And it's kind of, so how the Hindus call it is the Yuga's, how the Mayans and the Romans and things call it was the great year. So it's kind of a 26,000 year cycle and it's, you know, a, a golden age, a gold and silver, bronze and iron or in within Hinduism they've got the four different yugas and what we are now in is, is the Kali Yuga and what they say is that that is a time when we're, you know, when the world is kind of in chaos and we're kind of disconnected from spirit or whatever but as we move up into say the next age or whatever we become much more so what you're having like say for example meditation or to use psychedelics to get to them realms is a much easier kind of you know scenario you might not need the psychedelics or you might not need the meditation by the time you get to the golden ages and by the time the golden ages are happening were building kind of things like the pyramids or, you know, Gobekli Tepe and all of these kind of stone monuments that they really don't have a way of kind of really dating other than by, you know, dating the carbon materials that are around them. So they don't really know how old the pyramids are. And well, look, there's there's different, you know, there's different lines of thinking of when they were built and, you know, the Sphinx and, you know, all of that kind of stuff that the likes of Graham Hancock and that would talk about. But within again to go back to the, you know the twenty six thousand year cycle, it's all to do with the the pull of the planets, and it's the planets going through the zodiac signs on the on. The, um, the world but they would kind of say that it's a constant rise and fall in civilization like this idea that you know time is linear and we you know turn from monkeys to where we are now flying through the sky and putting podcasts through the air you know what a lot of these kind of older tribes and cultures would talk about is is that there's peaks and troughs like do you know what I mean like that we rise up and we, we hit you know advanced civilizations and then there's a cataclysmic event like you know in meteor impact or you know a volcano hits or an ice age and it's a constant that's so instead of time being linear it's a constant rising and falling in consciousness rising and falling in consciousness but every culture across the world has spoken about these and has them in their myths and their legends and again as you said you know with um the atheists and stuff like that like they kind of say oh which the myths don't really mean much or whatever But I think what we're kind of now beginning to see from the different evidence, especially with the um, that LiDAR is we're starting to see a very very different planet than we ever imagined like even when you go into the jungles in, in um, Guatemala see that uh, the cities that they're after finding Aha, vague, you know. yeah, so I have very
1: vaguely now I must kinda, actually talk to Mr. Murphy our, uh, our good friend Anthony Murphy about that yeah
0: that'll be very interesting they like what they're kind of what they're kind of saying now is that at a time when these monuments were being built they were kind of saying that that whole area was no population there was you know nothing really happening You it, Europe was the epicentre of the world and you know them kind of surrounding areas and now what they're finding is is like that there was cities that were built up there that at one stage would have housed 10 million people like between 5 and 10 million people over obviously over a you know couple of hundred years like primitive hunter gatherers yeah primitive hunter gatherers yeah (laughs) the same primitive hunter gatherers that you know built Gobekli Tepe and places like that like even when you go when you it certainly, it, it certainly seems like there's a case to be made for all of that. And the more you look at the evidence, like even, you know, from my own experience in Peru, being up around Machu Picchu and stuff like that, they've got like these massive stone blocks that look like they were laser cut. Look like they were laser cut. And they're the best stones. They're the best monuments that are there. And then it seems like somebody came along and built on top of that. And the the, the the buildings that are on top of that are much cruder, much less done, like, done by less, you know, skilled architects or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, you know what demonstrably I mean? so. Like. And, like, by a country mile, mm. just, you know, look up, there's work by a guy called Brian Forrester, and he goes into the likes of uh, Machu Picchu and different places, and he kind of shows you that kind of thing, or, you know, Pumapuca, places like that that they're now finding, where these things are laser cut, like, some of them rocks are rocks that are done like like a hexagon. And they're trying to tell you that that was done by a stone hammer and a chisel and rubbing sandpaper off it. And that's how they got them. By people who
1: didn't have
0: the wheel. uh, I know. And these things look like they're laser cuts. You can't even fit. They're so tightly cut to each other that you can't even fit a sheet of paper through them. Yeah. That's how well they're done. And to me, that's a massive indication that we've, where I do kind of tend to lean towards the ideas of rises and falls in consciousness and these cycles that happen on the planet. And it's, you know, if if. For instance, if the Carrington event that happened in 1819 that wiped out our electricity grids, if that happened again today, who do you think would be the people that would be, would, would survive that? The people who are going to survive that are going to be the hunter-gatherers. Oh, and the hunter-gatherers are going to be the one that restarts humanity again. Because bar a handful of people on the planet, well not a handful, I'm sure there's quite a few, but like, there's not too many people that can go out and hunt their own food, that can grow their own crops. And can do that in a space of time that if if a, if a cataclysm happens, you need to be able to do that within five or six days, or you're not eating. Because oh, no, there's no, no food going to the shops, there's no refrigeration, there's no nothing. And a vast majority of us would not survive the first year of a cataclysm.
1: But I, I'd have some chance, you'd have mm. some chance, because we live out in the country and we have and gardens. Fish in my just lake. for a start. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, fish in yeah, your leg. Yeah. You but you, know if, but if, you, if you were in a two bed apartment mm, in
0: Finglas... Big diamond. Yeah. But, <laughs> but even me. Even me, as in, I have a garden, but I don't know how to grow crops yet. Yeah, well, like I'm enough, on, yeah. I'm on the stepping stones to, like, I want to get my polytunnels up next year and get all of that kind of going. But if it happened tomorrow, yeah, I'm to as, as dead from? as the next. I was so just w- about to say, you wouldn't get them where, Exactly. There you go. <laughs> so it's, I, you know, what what these cultures and tribes all talk about is, is it always goes back to the hunter gatherers. It's the hunter gatherers that restart humanity, and then you have to look at say. The art that's on some of the cave arts, or you look at the the lines, the Nazca lines and stuff like that, like where they where they definitely look like they've drawn aeroplanes or they've drawn things like that into it and what would the hunter gatherers who've never had any you know any talk was like take for example them hunter gatherers that were out in the amazon rainforest i remember we were flying over them and they were throwing spears at the airplane yeah yeah so if something un- happened uncontacted uh, people yeah of so. uncontacted people like so if they're then going in having that experience and then drawing that on walls yeah and then people are coming back years later and seeing this and they're like yeah but you're like They were primitive people, they didn't have that technology or has that technology been wiped off the planet at countless different times through, you know, even to take the great flood that's in the Bible. There's something like 300 or 300 different um, cultures and religions that all talk about a great flood that are separated by thousands of years and thousands of miles and not being able to be in contact with each other is it a myth or is it something that is you know a constant cycle on this planet Do we, does consciousness rise and fall you know over time like constantly and we build and we start again like you, you even look at the Egyptian pyramids and things like that the idea that they were built by you know primitive people like you even look at the statues and the monuments and the different temples that are built around I've that I've been
1: there man been to Cairo been to Giza look.
0: and uh, correct me if I'm wrong on this the, fir- the three temples of Giza are the first three pyramids to be built and all the other ones around it are the after ones, and they've progressively got worse. Is
1: it that's the? It's, and again, the line.
0: I hope I'm right on that. Like, and if it it well, look, if I am right on that, how does that fit into our narrative of a linear timeline? Surely we should be starting off building the shitty pyramids first, and then they progressively get better, get better and better, and then we build the three, the three pyramids in Giza instead of it progressively getting worse, like.
1: No, without a doubt, I think another thing that that's relevant here is our perception of time. So I think these days we, for like today, you know, I'm living till five o'clock till mm. you come and then yeah. it's at half seven that the training starts and then it's, you know, seven o'clock the kids have to go to bed and we tend to think in, in immediate terms, yeah. like me thinking ahead is like two or three months, I might sit down with myself and try and work out a holiday or, yeah, or yeah. A time off or, or whatever. But you don't end up building a, a pyramid with that kind of a mentality. Yeah. Do you know that kinda way, like nobody that started the pyramid was around well at least as far as we're aware, was around when it was finished because it just took so long yeah. to build them. Now having said that, we don't know how to build, how they did build them, so no. who knows, maybe they did just whip them up in a weekend yeah. like
0: But But it was that was that maybe was that maybe the pyramids being built in a in a, you know, in as a lot of these tribes and cultures kind of talk about a golden age, a golden age where these things were much easier to build. They were much more, you know, they were much more in tune with nature and with, you know, the laws that we say govern the universe. Maybe they had ways like you're talking about like like the biggest pyramid in Egypt is two and a half million stones. That all got brought from one part of Egypt to the other. That's a massive undertaking. Is,
1: to just get that amount of rubble from mm. one pile to another yeah. pile is unimaginably yeah. difficult. Yeah.
0: But to, you know,
1: build a pyramid out yeah, of that. Yeah,
0: yeah. But where they, you know, where are these? are these monuments, you know, are they markers from a more advanced time? And look, look these are only ideas that I just, I enjoy talking about them and I can't say either one way or the other, do you know what I mean? But it certainly, it certainly makes for interesting reading and it certainly seems a lot more plausible than the idea that it was slaves that built the pyramid. And like sure, even, you know, the idea that the pyramids are built at uh, 0.0 or 0.2 of a degree off perfect north. With our best lasers, we can do that at 0.5 or 0.6 of a degree off perfect north. And yet you're trying to say that these are primitive people. So how are they able to build them to a, to a, a better degree than we can, like, you
1: know? Oh no! Look, without, without a doubt, and I think most of the the ancient monuments are all astronomically aligned in mm. some, to some degree or another. Yeah. I mean, take Newgrange our closest yeah. example. That this, it's not by accident that the sun shines straight through and illuminates mm. that path at the the shortest day of the year. Um, well
0: Anthony Murphy it's funny because I, I heard Anthony Murphy on a podcast after he was on here I just went, went down having a little look around and see what I could see of his stuff like you know and he was talking about how in Newgrange that every 8 years or something or every 9 years Saturn shines through that chamber okay. you can see Saturn from that chamber That couldn't be a fluke, like that Saturn shines in through that window on the shortest day of the year. Or I'm, to be honest, I'd have to re-listen to the podcast or whatever. Like, but it's every once every eight years, Saturn shines in through that through through that window. Like, you know, like that's a hell of a coincidence. If you know, if it just, do you know what it mean? If it's there, like you're looking at, even they're talking about how Newgrange and stuff was built as a, um. Marker like for farmers and things like that, so they knew when to plant their crops and the solstice and stuff like that. Even that in itself is an incredible feat to be able to build something that on two days of the year, or is it even one day of the year? Sure,
1: I think it's the shortest day of yeah, the year. Yeah,
0: that the sun shines in through that ta- through in through that chamber, like you know. But, if like, if you listen to, you know, if you listen to kind of the hunter-gatherers or, you know, people who come from tribes and stuff like that, they would say that that's not what that is at all. Like, they were saying that that was, what that was, was if you think about it, you're brought into the womb of Mother Earth. So that was a, that was a, a structure and a monument that was built, and you were brought in there to have... It could have been a psychedelic experience, it could have been through the use of mushrooms or you know, it could have been through meditation, but you go into the darkness and you've I've be, obviously been in Newgrange yourself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So when you go in there it's pitch black dark and what they say is you go in there for a shamanic a shamanic ceremony. So whatever whatever the the drug or whatever they you know whatever lights the paper whether it be the psychedelic or whatever whatever way they done it whether it be drumming or fast or whatever but you went in there and you had an experience of the divine a transcendent experience and then when you came out through that passage so that came, that's like the womb so you're coming out through the womb and you're coming back out so it's a it. rebirth mm. it's a rebirth but again through all the different cultures they've all as you said they've aligned all these things to the stars and to the cosmos and to all of them kind of things and it 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 definitely alludes to the fact that they're pointing to the stars to them, um, you know, circles of time and you know, um what's the word I'm looking for? No epochs or No, no, no. no. Cycles. That's the uh cycles. So it it's certainly alluding to, you know, cycles of time that they were so engrossed in what was above that they, you know, they built these things on an on the earth as a mirror image. And maybe they've built these things as markers for us to keep watching these things and don't start to understand the celestial part of the world like you know maybe you know as i said with the with the yuga cycles and stuff maybe we're down in deep in the material realm right now and maybe as we move out of that and they they when you listen to you know the hindus and stuff there's a big thing saying that we're coming out of that and what the the kali yuga is what you know the others would call kind of the the um not the bronze age so, iron. So, the Iron Age would have been the lowest, but we're literally coming out of that. And maybe that's, you know, some of the chaos you're now starting to see in the world, whether it's, you know, the massive change in the weather, or whether you're starting to see, you know, the riots. There's certainly an unease in the world, like, you know, and maybe that is what's happening because they say after when you move from one stage to another, there's a 300 year window where chaos reigns and out of the chaos comes order and you move into the next stage or the next kind of, you know, part of it, like, you know.
1: Yeah, no, no, without a doubt, and in keeping with your chaos and order idea, and what you mentioned earlier about flood myths that are ubiquitous across cultures and across time, it's not so much that it's the that a, that a flood is coming. It, it's 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 less sorry, it's less to do with the fact that there either is a flood or that there's a flood coming, and much more to do, if not entirely, to do what you with arc building. So, the way I like to conceptualize it is that you build you build your own arc. I think Peterson actually talks about this. The idea is you, you build your own arc for the impending flood. Right. I mean, the impending flood could be a pandemic. It could yeah. be an EMP. It could be your kid dying. It could be yeah. you know. There's no limit to what that could yeah. be for everyone or for each individual. But the idea is that you you build your you build your arc, and the proper way to do that is to. Uh, have spent time working on yourself and exercising your own demons and being comfortable in your own skin and trying to get out of all those negative thought patterns that you kind of yeah. can drive yourself crazy but the idea being that and again this happened across cultures was there's always some sort of a danger coming whatever that is whether it's a cataclysm or a, or cancer it doesn't yeah. matter there's shit coming there, there might be shit coming at you now but there's shit on its way so yeah, yeah. prepare yourself yeah, like, you know, yeah. in body and mind yeah. and spirit If you can somehow separate those
0: three things. Um, But maybe that's what, you know, as we said earlier, it's no coincidence that the psychedelics are now coming out teaching us a way to get back to nature. You know, even I would always believe that everything has its good and bad. So as much as we talked about the bad parts of technology, there's some really good parts of technology because the majority of us wouldn't have heard you wouldn't have done so much self inquiry had you not have listened to Jordan Peterson or Alan Watts or people who are on the Joe Rogan podcast or like if
1: i know if i know access to the internet of
0: course like, so you know what i'm you know again I suppose what I'm saying is, is that everything has it's good and it's bad and it doesn't like you what know and maybe maybe that's what we're now being prepared for maybe it's no coincidence that they're all we're having a re-emergence of the psychedelics we're having a re you know through technology we're all starting to kind of you know look at in within ourselves and maybe there is a massive change coming in the paradigm maybe you know we're going to teach our kids a completely different way and even even to the point like uh, we in work today I was kind of listening to the lady talking we we're saying how how different fathers are now you, you like you know fathers like I know with my own dad now my dad was you know so busy with work and stuff like that like you know he worked hard and that was that generational thing like where this generation of where we've come up and we seem to be spending fathers are much more hands on and things like that aren't they like I think so than previous generations than previous generations and I'm you know that's where I kind of see the hope out of chaos, because I, I would definitely be, um like, I'm not a pessimistic person, like, when I talk about chaos, again, I think you need chaos for order to grow from, do you know what I mean? So I'm always optimistic, and I, you know that's what I like to think of when I think of the current maybe chaos that we're in, that maybe it is part of these massive cycles of time and maybe we're on the upswing or we're going towards the upswing and you know, this, the psychedelics, the technology, all of that is kind of fueling that upswing now that we're, we're all doing real deep looking within ourselves. Like, you know,
1: no, 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 absolutely. And you, you've made me think of something that you might be able to help me walk through actually, because you might remember, was it last year, or the year before, uh, a gang of lads lifted two ATM machines out of Banks and Kells do you remember that oh yeah yeah blocked off the road yeah. for, uh, what was it they, they stole JCB's that were on the back of trailers yeah pulled into the town, blocked off the roads with the trailers, right. proceeded to pull the ATM machines out of yeah. the walls with the, the JCB or whatever it was. Meanwhile, they'd put um, hollow nails under all the cop cars and the surrounding <laughs> stations. So when the alarm was rang, the cops went and, yeah. you know, had Pssh. flat tires or whatever else. And the next day when the story broke, I heard a lot of people saying that the the boys were kind of heroes. They were elevated to this. Ah, fucking fair play yeah. to the lads. Imagine having Robin the balls to do that. Like, you know, yeah, that's the other way. It's like fucking nasty bastards. You yeah. wouldn't want them minding your kids of an I evening, am. like, you know? But it got me thinking about how, and this isn't to absolve the guys who lifted those ATMs or people who do bad things generally, but I feel like if a society becomes too uh, too something I don't know it, it depends so in, in historically it would be if the king was too tyrannical
0: yeah out of balance really isn't out it? of like balance you know, and if, yeah if there was too much pressure
1: yeah. put on on the population yeah. I feel like yeah. something gives so to use a balloon as, a, a, as an analogy within an analogy you love if an you, analogy I do I do love me an analogy <laughs> but if, if, if you squeeze a balloon yeah. it doesn't pop yeah. uniformly it pops at a weak point. Yeah, and I mm-hmm. wonder is that weak point, is is the pin that pushes in and creates that weak point, is that caused by the, the pressure? Because you can you can press a pin into a balloon, and if it's not under pressure, it won't mm. pop. Yeah, but if your society is like a pressure cooker environment, yeah. you're going to have people lifting ATM machines yeah, and, rioting like we're seeing, and rioting like yeah. we and rioting and yeah. all the rest of it so that's a direct yeah. cause
0: to the pressure that the yeah. society has been put over no, for sure definitely like e- the idea that you know what's happening in and we say America but it's happening in different countries around the world as well I like to know but you know to say what's happening over there is just race I feel is wrong there's certainly race issues there and we're seeing you know how racism is playing out in that country but it is exactly that too it's if you put that pressure on people and then you put you know economic pressures on people and you know we all see the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer eventually there's going to be some blowback isn't there there's going to be some kind of people are eventually going to have enough then you you throw in a pandemic on top of that where people aren't you know able to work where you're not able to make money you know you're probably in danger of losing your house and I as far as I'm aware that situation is, isn't as bad here as it is in, in America but you're kind of starting to see it's never to me for me it's never really just an either or answer like do you know what I mean it seems to be like there's so many kind of things that are being thrown into the pot now and you're you're about to see the chaos explode out aren't you like do you know like it seems to be that you know they're rioting on a mass scales over there and it's you know things don't look too good over there and that's I suppose why I say you know the world is in chaos but I think you know as we we become more aware you know through the internet and through things through things like that of how these kind of institutions are making their money and have making their money you know like we've got oil we've got you know big banks you've got all of them kind of things and it certainly is you know it's certainly laying the soil for people you know to grow ideas of anger and resentment out isn't it like you know because the more you oppress people there's always going to be a pushback isn't there and i think i think we could be starting to see that and i think that's where where the chaos is going to come but I, again i'm always i'm always positive about that i think out of the chaos will grow order you know
1: no no know without a doubt but i just i think we're, rush, we're rushing we're ramping up the chaos mm. to get order in a way that i wish we could I know maybe reassess what we're doing and not not need for it to all come crashing yeah. down because yeah. it all coming crashing down is you know Tens, oh, it's not, not good, but it's no, it's, it's, not it's, good. it's yeah, yeah, but it's not good to the yeah. tune of tens of yeah. millions. Yeah. It's not hundreds oh, of millions of people not, starving to death or, or being billions. killed in war if or whatever billions. else.
0: Yeah, but maybe you know, it maybe again to go back to and again, I'm not saying these this idea of the Yuga cycles and the Great Year and all that. I'm not saying it's correct. It's just ideas I'm talking about. But if if you're to go back to that, that's what they say happens. They say for that 300 years between one move to from the Iron Age into that Bronze Age or from the Bronze Age into the Silver Age there's 300 years of chaos so the chaos reigns and then the world comes back out it's nearly you know to go back to the mythology of the whole thing like on joseph campbell would talk that the rising of the phoenix from the flames sometimes the world has to burn and, and within hindu mythology and things like that you know you've got shiva and shiva is the you know the destroyer but he's also the bringer of new worlds and it's only out of death and destruction does does new life get bred into things like, you know, But wasn't and,
1: wasn't that the idea of sacrifice originally was that you didn't have to you know, the the, the town didn't have to burn to the ground. Yeah. You could, you know, Light a virgin on fire, and that that would kind of suffice. Now, don't get me wrong; I'm I'm not. I I don't want to bring that back, but the the mentality that 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 doesn't
0: work, I don't think. Like, but because nature, nature, you know, nature itself. Like when you when you look throughout nature, you look at you know, even say forest fires. Like when you have forest fires over in the likes of Australia and the Amazon and things like that, like, out of that grows a whole new layer of life that comes through that, like, you know, so... From a natural fire. From a natural fire or whatever, like, you know what I mean? Like, and I think maybe that plays out through nature in these massive cycles of time, like, you know, every so often the earth gets scorched and we, we rebuild again and, you know, consciousness comes again, like, you know, but I find ease with that. Like, that's not something that scares me because I would be one who believes that, you know, consciousness is not um, is not created within the body. Like, for me, consciousness leaves the body and still exists. So the idea of death, that's not a worry to me, or it's not something I'm saying as in it's in a bad thing. It's certainly, you know, if you're somebody who is a fear of death and who believes that, you know, the end is the end, then it would be something, I'm sure, that scares you. But for me, you know, I would buy into the idea... That the Hindus would have like, and it's called Le- they call it Layla, and it's that the whole world is just a drama, and you are merely an actor that's playing within it, and you're just playing a role, and somebody has to play the good guy, somebody has to play the bad guy, and it's just a big drama that's happening. But consciousness goes on after here, and it comes on before here, like you know. And
1: I think that, I can't remember if we if we covered this in previous episodes, if we've even speak, spoken about it much. But are you a proponent of the idea that the brain, as opposed to a generator of consciousness? Are you are you a proponent of the, the idea that the brain, as opposed to generating consciousness like a generator generates electricity, do you view the brain more so as a TV set with a, a receiver a, of as consciousness. a receiver of consciousness? Yeah, yes. I think
0: in one of our last podcasts, I when I was saying it, I made a mistake. I said it was a generator of consciousness, but what I what I actually meant is what I would believe by it is is that it's a receiver of consciousness, like that the body, the body and the brain is just. It's a it's a form you take on to experience this material realm. But when you leave here, your consciousness, that awareness that we keep talking about, when the ego dies, the awareness, you know, transcends. And that would be my belief on it. Like, and because I feel I've experienced that through my experiences with ayahuasca and with psilocybin mushrooms and things like that. So
1: sorry to cut across you, but just Mm. so I, I get this right in my own head. And again, I know I'm not trying to nail you down on mm. anything too specific here. I, I get that this has to be kind of kept I feel like broad in general. <laughs> <laughs> um, but do you think that, let's say, a newborn baby, a newborn baby has the the biology and the physiology within its skull and throughout its nervous system, say, to pick up consciousness, but it just doesn't have an ego? It hasn't developed an
0: ego yet. Mm, I think the the ego would obviously develop through life experiences and through learning language and through, you know, different experiences. I would think, you know, when it comes here, it's the higher consciousness that comes. And then all of a sudden, you know, the ego will kick in then, I suppose, you know, as you begin to learn and evolve and grow through the world and stuff. And you take on an identity, you know, as soon as I think I think ego is probably created as soon as language is learned. Is what I feel, because, again, the ego is the thinking mind. Do you know what I mean? It's the thinking mind that gets everything done. And it's the way we're able to experience the world through thought and through things like that. And I would think that it's as soon as you begin to learn language that the ego kicks in. But I would still believe that you've got awareness from the minute you're conceived. Like, you know, I would say that there's a there's an awareness there.
1: Well, there certainly is because like a, a, an infant will know it's in danger. Oh yeah. Like, you know, if if you, if you put an infant into uh, you know, a basket with a cuddly tie and it's well fed mm. and the room is dim and yeah. everything's nice and quiet, you know, odds are it'll be okay. Yeah. But you put that same infant into the corner of a, a teenager's band practice and yeah, all yeah. of a that kid knows something's not. Yeah. Right, do you know what I It knows it knows the even just that—the yeah. fact that it knows anything about—it's a its feeling, isn't it?
0: It's just because it's because it's getting a feeling. And you know, if you're to if you're to go down, you know, the thinking of you know, the likes of Nikola Tesla and people like that, like where they say that all everything is is just really energy, energy and frequency. So vibrations, uh, uh, vibrations, exactly. So what the baby would be picking up on is is you know, as you said, if you put the baby in a room and you stick a wolf in the room what you what 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 you and me might be looking at is a baby and a wolf in a room, but everything is just kind of vibrations and frequencies happening off each other, mm. so the baby knows that there 's danger because of the frequency of the room now, I would know very little about that, and it'd be you know I certainly wouldn 't like to talk too much about it because i don 't you know i don 't fully understand the idea that everything is like what what I think they would say is that everything is just energy, and that matter is out, is energy vibrating at a denser frequency than the spirit world. Do you know what I mean? That yes. kind of that kinda of, and I look I've probably I've probably butchered that in a way. But I suppose what I'm saying is is that the the child is instead of using the ego to think out the logic of it, is more resonating with the frequency that the wolf is a is a bad energy or a do you know what I mean? It knows that there's danger there because it's it's an it's a certain energy. Everything yeah. is energy.
1: It's like a primordial feeling or mm. an instinct, I suppose. Yeah, that's yeah. the other thing. Like Jung spoke a lot about the, the the collective unconscious. Yeah, how familiar are you with that? Would you do you think? Ooh,
0: you see again, not much. I know a little bit on it, and it's you know the bits I would know. And it is is that you know he he would have spoke as if we need to go through a dark night of the soul. That collectively a species needs to go through a dark night of the soul, where all its shadow sides are laid out bare and that's where you heal them and stuff like that as oh, far as I know sorry do we have to
1: do that collectively was the dar- I thought the dark light of the soul was an individual thing it's an
0: individual thing but you also go through it as collectively as a species as far okay. as I'm aware and you'd ha- you'd wonder is that what's playing out in front of us now do you know like you're, you're seeing a divide all across the world and we're beginning to see you know we're beginning to see a lot of them negative things brought to the forefront. And maybe maybe as a species, we have to face all that and more or less own our shit before we can move to the next level of consciousness.
1: Yeah, I'm with you, brother. Our fucking reminder for training is just after popping up.
0: know, ah, We're going to have
1: to get you back to finish it off. If we'll ever get to the end of it, I don't know, <laughs> but yeah, I'm certainly right.
0: enjoying the fucking ride. know for sure, absolutely. And what I love about sitting and talking to you is... You, you, I always have to think when I'm talking to you, like I can't talk bullshit, like <laughs> I have to, but that's what I love about it is that I can listen back to that and say, Listen to this again and say, Well, oh, well, maybe I'm wrong on that, maybe I'm right on that. Like, you know, maybe that's the good thing about having a, a conversation where you're both open to having that conversation, isn't it? Like, you oh know? no, without a doubt, yeah. I'm,
1: I'm looking forward to getting you back yeah. now all the more because I was really looking forward to sitting down and talking to you because I just knew what to talk about wouldn't yeah. be an issue because there's just so much crossover. Well, we're
0: more friends now, I think. Do you know, oh, The first two so. podcasts, we didn't really know each other other than, you know, probably meeting each other two or three times, like, but now, you know, we're around each other. I would feel a lot more comfortable. Do you know, there's not that, you know, them spaces and that, what do I need to say next? Like, it oh, seems no, to flow, well, which is well, whatever, enjoyable, well, definitely.
1: You just reminded me about um, herself or the wife, as she's otherwise known now. <laughs> you would have met herself. And when you arrived up to the house, I must actually ask her about this because I would have gotten some friend of Dave's who was painting his house went to the jungle did not yeah. load of drugs was coming <laughs> here and you know we were going to talk for fucking a couple of hours and she would have went right yeah you know <laughs> close the door on your way out yeah, kind of thing yeah. but like this time
0: around she's been in your house we you've had yeah, a meal yeah, together I like was, yeah, away. Yeah, yeah. Um I can imagine her just going eh, Fran, this podcast isn't going to lead to a load of weird people like that right <laughs> door, is it? Yeah, exactly Because <laughs> I'm going to put my foot down <laughs> Speaking of uh, <laughs> uh,
1: introduce me to weird people Pork Riley is uh, i hoping to get him on if not this oh, week and uh, next week that. so that'll yeah, be good
0: Yeah, Pork is uh, yeah, like one of the good things that you know one of the best things that's happening out of this podcast is that uh, people have gotten in contact with me you know, and I've become friends with them. like, do you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah, I've, yeah. you know, I so much time for pork. I can't wait to hear the podcast with him. I'd say, Yeah, definitely want to tune into that, that's for sure. No. no he's no. a good guy, that's for sure. And then your cousin Peter as well, too. Really good and people I'm in contact with now, probably once or twice a week, like now, mostly through messages or Peter would have been down at my house and things like that. Like and I would have never met them people if it wasn't for this podcast. So the sense of community that can come from this podcast I think is absolutely brilliant, and you know it's great to see you do what you're doing and having these conversations with people because definitely think people are interested. That's oh for look, sure.
1: it's it's great to be back, mm-hmm. and it's great to yeah. have people like yourself in particular to talk to. It just makes the whole thing an yeah. absolute pleasure. Yeah. Uh Ivor, we'll wrap it up with that because we have to get back to training. We're doing a bit of MMA training every Tuesday and Thursday, <laughs> seven to late. If anyone in the Mead area is on for it, um, send us a message
0: no samurai warriors are at now do no coming <laughs>
1: but uh, yeah man look we'll get you back on uh, within hopefully in the next fortnight or so and we'll fucking take from there <laughs>
0: no bother at all brother Pleasure. Cheers, thank man. you very much thank you